in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. Welcome back in. It is good to be here. Yet another beautiful day on this earth, Mitch. And we're here to talk some sports. That's why you've tuned in. That's why you put on the podcast. You downloaded the sucker. You're listening wherever you listen, and we appreciate you for it. And we've got a fun podcast in store today, Mitch. Great week in the NFL. We'll get into week five on the back half of the podcast. Campus tour, as always, some news and notes. My NFL team may or may not be looking for a new head coach, which we'll get into that. MLB postseason already done with the wild card round and full of spoilers already. So uh, it's a great time of the year. Great time on the podcast. And I, I don't know about you. I feel ready to go. I do. I hope you're downloading this episode, not just streaming it. Download it. Pump those numbies. Pump those numbies. Get them up. I hope you're downloading this. That's how we get paid per download, people. It's like .003 a download, but it makes a difference at the end of the day. It sure does. It sure does. So make sure to hit that download button. Like, subscribe. Do all those good things. And uh, yeah, we got a we got a great show. We got a great show ahead of us, Dallin. So it should, it, it'll be a good time. Uh, it's it's going to be a good time today. We're recording this on October 11th. It's a Tuesday. It's a good Tuesday. I don't know. It's good Tuesday. It's been a good. Tu- it's been a good Tuesday like, for me. It's been a good one for you, right? Yeah, it's been a good one. It's yeah. it's still hot, but you know, it's we'll get yeah. there. We'll get there eventually. You know, this is like prime sports. Like prime time of like sports season, right? Mm-hmm. We got the NFL, we got college football, 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 football. We got playoff baseball, basketball's picking back up here. We're gonna have college basketball picking back up. Like this is prime time of the year for sports, and uh, so as we get moving, it, we got NASCAR, we got NASCAR, you know, yes. they're round of eight now. So like, there's a lot of cool stuff happening right now in the world of sports. It's a very exciting time of the year for us. So. It is. Can't wait to get into this episode and let's not waste any more time. And let's start this off here with the news. That's right. Let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the news. All right. Before we get going, Dallin, it has to happen. We uh we had some really really atrocious calls in the NFL on Sunday and then last night Monday night a a similar yeah. call where roughing the passer became an issue and I was going to put Jerome Boger and his crew in the pit of misery 
I feel like I need to amend that a little bit. I'm putting NFL officials as a whole in the pit of misery. So dilly dilly. Yeah. <laughs> dilly um, dilly. Look, the officiating has, for some reason over the last couple of years, felt like it's just gotten progressively worse. And I understand the stressing of, of player safety and taking care of the players and making sure we're not putting them in dangerous situations. But it's starting to get a little ridiculous. The two roughing the passer calls, the one on Grady Jarrett on Tom Brady, the one last night, I think it was Chris Jones when he made a play yep, on Derek Carr. Yep. Um, it's just really getting out of control. NFL officials need to pull their head out of their ass and their dicks out of the dirt and start realizing that they're calling a football game and that physicality is going to happen. I'm all for player safety and making the right call to make sure that that we're we're achieving maximum player safety that we can in this sport. It's a violent sport. I understand we're not going to be perfect, but we have to be we have to be efficient. What the NFL officials have been doing over the last few years with this um, and Jerome Boger is just an example of this is that we're this is getting a soft. This is getting soft. This is getting ridiculous now. So NFL officials, dilly dilly, welcome to the pit, pit of misery. And quite honestly, uh, no timetable for yeah. exit out of here. I mean, this is this has been really bad. Really, yeah, really you bad. know, every every season there is a good reason to put the officials in the pit of misery, right? Because there's always something, but it seems like this recent trend is going too far. And I think my my issue with it, Mitch, is, it, listen, if if you just can't hit the quarterback, just say it. Like let's like let's not beat around the bush because the way that it is being officiated, it seems to me that it is illegal in the game of football to hit the quarterback. Because even when you hit them the right way, you get penalized for it. Even when you're making a football move and you're not being overly aggressive and it's not late in the situation that we saw with Grady Jarrett and Chris Jones, two of the best pass rushers in the league, guys that do this at the highest levels, they know what they're doing. They did it what you would think textbook and yet it wasn't so if that's the case right if it's really just you can't hit the quarterback then let's just say it let's stop beating around the bush let's stop officiating like this and just say it let's say you can never sack the quarterback all right because this is stupid it's just stupid it, it is really stupid but you know what there, there's an easy fix to this make roughing the passer a reviewable penalty go yeah. go back yeah. and look at it again because sometimes guys you know, I'm I'm sure I, I'm I'm not an official. I've never been a football official, so I don't know. But maybe with this heightened sense of you know awareness to to making sure that you're protecting quarterbacks in these types of plays, maybe your trigger response is to throw the flag. Throw the yeah, flag, especially if you want, when especially but, when Tom Brady is looking up at you, begging oh, well, you to give you, know you the flag. Give you know that, what I mean? It's just like give that, that big sissy his boo boo bunny. He looks I he agree, looks for but, penalty on everything. <laughs> What I agree, I'm saying but, you is, know. is if they make a play like this where they can go back and clearly see that sure. nothing was wrong with that play, then give give that opportunity. Give that yeah. opportunity to go back and make the correct call because both instances, the incorrect call was made and it cost it cost the end of the game. It cost yeah. them the division lead. And I it, it I mean, it was so early in the Raiders Chiefs game, it was probably inconsequential, but like. You know, it that can cost teams the game like we saw Absolutely. in Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Absolutely. I think, you know, I, I love the idea of making it reviewable. I don't know how much that would help. 
because again, this seems more than just an individual case by case, a guy just getting it wrong. This seems like a trend of, we feel like we need to protect the quarterback more. So anything that's somewhat borderline is getting called. And again, if that's the case, if that's a push from NFL officiating to their official saying, call this tighter, you know, you like call roughing the, like if that's, if that's what this is and that's a wholesale change, that's more than just getting it reviewed is going to change it. So I don't know what the solution is, Mitch, because I saw, you know, that the data says that this year roughing the passer calls are down percentage wise. Well, that's great. But if they're worse calls being made, then who cares if there's less? Yeah, of them, and I, you know, and I don't sh- know. And I'm sure and I'm sure this whole thing was heightened after the whole Tua situation. Right. Because uh, that absolutely. wasn't that wasn't a bad hit that he took. It was the right. whiplash and the head hitting the ground right. afterwards. So. Maybe they're a little bit more sensitive to that, but they got sure. they got to work on getting this right because it's yeah. bad. No, 100 percent, 100 percent. When it's costing games, there's just no excuse. We need to do better and we need to find a solution. Hopefully that gets figured out. Mitch, uh, I would like to suggest an entry to the pit of misery because, it, listen, you are the warden, right? I cannot just yeah. enter whoever I want. I got to ask. So I would like to ask if we can put Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper in the pit of misery. Can we do that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm not, not going to tell you no. Okay. I appreciate that because I'd like to talk about this next bit of NFL news that we have to uh, discuss, which is the first NFL head coach is, is gone. He's out of the building. It's Matt rule. Who could have saw this coming? Huh? Matt rule yeah. fired as the Carolina Panthers head coach lasted uh, just a little over two seasons. He had a record of 11 and 28, including the one and four start this year. Under Matt Rule, the Panthers went one in 27 when allowing 17 or more points. When the defense gave up more than two touchdowns and a field goal, it was impossible for the Panthers to win under Matt Rule. Uh, Rule is gone just three years again into that seven year. $62 million contract that he was given in January, 2020 by the Panthers owner, David Tepper, who bought this team a few years before that, I believe 2018, 2019, when Jerry Richardson uh, sold the team, he was the original owner and Tepper wanted to make his mark on the franchise. He wanted to change things. He got rid of cam. He got rid of some of the hallmark players. He let Ron Rivera go and his signature hire to usher in his new era was Matt rule, Mitch, a guy who turned around temple and turned around Baylor in record fashion. And basically outside of that had very little experience doing anything significant, had like a brief stint as an analyst in the NFL, I think with like Parcells and the giants, like it was like, you know, he, he, he said hi to the league as he stopped by. And this was doomed to fail from the beginning. It was doomed to fail from the beginning. This was never going to work. And now here we are just a little over two seasons into this. And uh, and the Matt Rule era is over, Mitch. And my first reaction as a Panthers fan, and I told you this uh, yesterday when we talked, was relief. I was relieved. It was like, thank God the Matt Rule era is over because it sucked the minute it started. And it never got any better. And I don't feel confident that the next era is going to be much better. That is the unfortunate part for Panthers fans right now. That is why David Tepper, the owner, is in the pit of misery. Because 
he is the reason why this didn't work. He was the one who made this decision. He's the one who's made these decisions, failure decisions as an owner since he's taken over this franchise. So I don't trust him to make another good decision on this if he's the one in charge. Now, I will say, if it's GM Scott Fitterer who gets to be the decision maker, the final say on who this head coach is, I'm 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 going to be on board because I trust him. I think he's been a good GM. But if it's David Tepper, like it's just going to be another bad hire. So who Mitch, it's it's been a little bit of a day uh, since the news broke yesterday on Monday. I guess from the outside, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the whole situation or maybe uh, how this is all going to come to a head here. I'm not going to lie. I felt relief for you. I felt relief for you. I was, I was, um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the Panthers made this decision to do it now and not like week 12, you know, like they have now who's the interim, who's the interim going to be again. Uh, Steve uh, Wilkes. Steve, Steve Wilkes. Wilkes. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Steve um, Wilkes is the, he's the defensive pass game coordinator this season uh, who's brought in. And honestly, Mitch, it was expected in the off season that bringing in Wilkes was like for this purpose. So that if rule were to get be let go during the season, which was inevitable, that you'd have somebody on the staff with head coach experience who could uh, be the interim. And, and he right. is. So. And it's going to give him a good audition. It's going to give him yep. a really good audition. In fact, if memory serves me right, before the Matt Rule hire, Steve Wilkes was on your list of guys that you would have liked to see get that head coaching job. Yep. Because he had just gotten out of the Arizona job. Um, or let go from the Arizona job. And it seemed pretty quick that they would let go a guy like that. So, you know, at least he's going to have a good audition. This is the best move the Panthers possibly could have made. Uh, they also let DC Phil snow go. So, you know, this is going to be a, a there's going to, hopefully this is a shift in culture for the Carolina Panthers. Um, because Matt rule, while he had, you know, turned around college programs in record time, um, you need a guy that's going to be a little bit more player friendly and Matt rule coming from a college background. It just isn't that. So, you know, maybe Steve Wilkes can provide a little bit of that, uh, culture change, um, for the Carolina Panthers mm-hmm. and, and not save the season because I don't think things are still going to wind up too well in Carolina, but probably a hell of a lot better than what they would have been with Matt rule. Yeah. You know, and, and here's the thing. I, I have like no ill feelings towards Matt rule. I think a lot of times when head coaches get fired, there's like a, a really good reason, you know, they're toxic. They bring negative, you know, think of an urban Meyer, think of some of the guys in the past. It's like, you know, just really bad. I don't think rule was any of those things. I just don't think he was ever cut out for this job. I just think he was not qualified at any point. Mm -hmm. And he, I'm sure he tried his best. I'm sure he had good intentions. It just clearly didn't work out. And hopefully uh, Steve Wilkes for the next 12 games can have that good ad- audition, Mitch. I would like to, uh, I have some, uh, I have a list of my candidates. I, I've thought about this for the last 24 hours. I spent a lot of time last night musing about this. Uh, I have a list of my preferred candidates. And this is very early on. This process is going to happen months from now, but you know, uh, I, as a Panthers fan, this is all I care about at this point, securing the number one pick in the NFL draft so we can draft the quarterback of the future. And then whoever the hell the head coach is going to be. So the ownership, David Tepper has made it, has implied that they are going to go after somebody with head coach experience, right? Makes sense. Uh, because the last guy didn't have any NFL head coaching experience and it didn't go well. So usually you pivot to the exact opposite. Uh, so 
I like, I think some of the options there are going to be really bad. Here are the three names, Mitch, my top three candidates with head coaching experience. And then I'll give you my three that are, that would be first time head coaches, but my three top three for head coach experience candidates. Number one, Raheem Morris, defensive Mm -hmm. coordinator for the Rams, former head coach. Didn't have a great stint the first time around, but I love what he's done in LA. I love the defense mentality. I think the time in LA will be well spent. The connections he could have for offensive staffing could be really good bringing somebody like that over to Carolina. So I love that. Uh, Number two is Steve Wilkes who's taking over as the interim. And I, this is a caveat on how this next 12 games go, but if he really, if he gets players to buy in, if there's a love in the building for him and what he can do, and he's given the full reins, I think that could work out. So we'll see how it goes, but Steve Wilkes is on there. Number three, Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator, Mm. Buffalo Bills. He's going to be a hot coaching candidate. He has been. He's only proven to be great. Deserves another shot at a head coaching opportunity. Would love the experience that he would bring uh, into Carolina. What what are your thoughts on those? Give me your your thoughts on that that top three there. Okay, so Raheem Morris was Tampa Bay? Uh, yes, yes, Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay. Okay, yes. that's right. Okay, yeah. early um, 2010s, I I believe. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I like that. I gotta say, quite honestly, my favorite out of one of that is Les- Leslie Frazier because he yeah. had success in Minnesota. Like it was, right. it was kind of a shocker when he got fired. So like, I I think that Leslie Frazier absolutely and the things that he's doing in, in Buffalo right now oh, definitely yeah. warrant another opportunity at a head coaching job. Yeah, I'd be very I'd be very happy with any of those guys. The one name that I thought like, you know, I I wouldn't he's not going to be sexy, but he could be the Doug Peterson. Right. For what he's been for Jacksonville this year, bringing in just a level of, uh, you know, just competency. Jim Caldwell. Hmm. You know, Jim Caldwell got two late interviews in 2022 for the Bears job. Yep. So he got some looks just in this last calendar year for another head coaching opportunity. And he had a good record with Detroit and was let go for just God knows why. I mean, and look what they went through with Patricia after let that. Him do a so, playoff. Yeah. So Jim Caldwell is a name where if that's the name we brought in, like again, not sexy, but is going to just raise the floor. I, I kind of like that. Okay. First time head coach. These are my list. I kind of cheated here. I have four names. I have a one, a and a one B Mitch. Uh, okay. And they're one A and one B because one's an offensive coach, one's a defensive coach. So different philosophies, but I like them both. One's D'Amico Ryan, one mm-hmm. A. You've heard me talk about him. I mean, I, that's the guy. That's the guy I want. That's who I want to be Carolina's next head coach. Uh, DC for the San Francisco 49ers, former player. I mean, he's been great there with what he's done. Would just love bringing that over to Carolina. My one B though, Ken Dorsey, offensive coordinator yes. for the Buffalo Bills. Former yes. Panthers quarterback coach has ties to Carolina already. And that one seems like a no brainer to me. If you're going to give a guy a shot, much like D'Amico Ryan's, that's why I'm like one, a one B there. I love both of those. Uh, the other two names, Eric B offensive coordinator, Kansas city would be my number two. Yep. And the number three, Jonathan Gannon, the DC for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I love a defensive minded head coach. And an offensive coordinator who can run the offense. And so bringing what he's done in Philly, love that in Carolina. So those are for first time head coaches. I I love all of those, to be honest with you. And all of them have a pedigree now. Like they have 
a successful coaching pedigree. So I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see how it goes. You know, uh, David Tepper is going to want to hire Sean Payton. He's going to want to hire somebody like that. You know, we'll see if what, what the sort of candidate pool is. But uh, that's where I'm at as a Panthers fan. Number one pick in the draft. And please, let's not fuck up this head coaching hire. Uh, <laughs> Mitch. Let's jump to some NBA news, some NBA drama. Okay, I don't want to call this news because this isn't news as much as it is just tomfoolery. Uh, but Draymond Green is—he uh, has stepped away from the team for a couple of days. This was uh, this all happened last week uh, after a reported incident where he punched Jordan Poole in the face in an altercation during practice. This was last Thursday uh, on Friday. TMZ uh, releases the video that was sold to them by somebody within the organization of the actual punch. And he really pretty much just like sucker punches Jordan Poole out of nowhere. I mean, obviously they're jawing at something, but you know, it looked really bad. Now, now Draymond has apologized. He's, you know, again, he stepped away on Friday on that Friday after the video released, he said he was stepping away from the team for a few days to get everyone some space. He said he said he was an imperfect person and imperfect people hurt other people. And I think Draymond is full of shit. And I think he's just not a good person. And he just sucker punched a teammate because he's a dick. I think that's what this is. And this is the team that won the finals, Mitch. Like what? I don't know, man. This is I mean, this isn't this isn't fucking news like. Draymond is an asshole. Like we all know he's an asshole. <laughs> and you know what? He had run-ins with KD when he was in Golden State. Like they they didn't always see eye to eye. They had screaming matches. And then to sucker punch Jordan Poole. I mean, this isn't news. I mean, they just just yeah, he's an asshole. Okay. Like good player in his own right, great defensive player. But yeah, he's a he's a dickhead. Like, so I don't know. I don't have much else to say on this. He's a dickhead. That's a it, we just confirmed what we already knew about Draymond Green, which was, oh, yeah, <laughs> guy's a dick. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. Uh, Steve Kerr had a comment in this I was reading where he basically said, you know, we have I, I've had 20 practice fights over my time here. You know, I I'd, I'd, I wouldn't want any of those to be seen on footage. And now I'm just thinking of how many other times Draymond Green has sucker punched a teammate. Now I'm like, what is Steve Kerr alluding to here? Can we get the footage? That's all I want now. So, you, hey, you know, because it's like we Screw need stuff behind doors, but we're, we're setting a record. We're setting a podcast record today. Draymond Green, welcome to the pit of misery. Dilly, dilly, <laughs> dilly, 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 dilly. Let's go. I mean, it is deserving, right? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, it, no, uh, yeah, 100%. that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. I love it. <laughs> a lot of pit of misery today. Let's go. Who else can we that, put in? Anybody else want to cross us? Mitch is feeling got, feisty. We already set a record, so why not? If we find something, <laughs> throw it in there, man. Oh, door is wide man. open at the pit of misery today. It's wide open. We're it, it's uh it's a uh, come one come all here to the pit of misery. I love it. Uh, Mitch, let's jump to the MLB postseason. Wild card round recap. We're already in the divisional round of games. Those started today. Again, recording this on uh, October 11th. It's a Tuesday, so divisional round under right uh, underway right now. But let's get into the wild card round and and uh, take a look back at what happened. And 
also where we picked because we did predict, you know, some of these uh, some of these series out. So uh, starting it starting in the AL Mitch Rays Guardians. This one we nailed. We picked the Guardians. Guardians got this done in two games. They hosted these two games in Cleveland as the division winners. Game one, two, one. Game two, one, oh, 15 innings, like no runs in that. Just a short, sweet pitching uh, series. Guardians got it done. Uh, we got that right. Feel good. I feel great. Feel great about that. What What you shouldn't feel great about, Mitch, is doubting the M's. Doubting the Mariners. Oh, I don't know yeah. what you were thinking here, Mitch, because uh, Seattle, Toronto games held in Toronto. You picked the Blue Jays. I picked the Mariners and the Mariners get the sweep 2-0. 4-0 in game one, 10 to nine in game two. They win two games on the road there. You know, we discussed last week how much that home field would matter, how much, you know, we'll see over. Uh, years when we get a better you know sample size what that looks like but so far you know in this postseason and we'll talk about the other series coming up but in this one in particular it didn't really matter you know seattle had no problem getting two games on the road yeah no they did they didn't and uh this feels like one of those teams that can make a run yeah i mean they they really yeah. feel like one of those teams that can make a run right now i'm absolutely I'm a big mariners fan right now yeah, the Mariners feel like a team you don't want to be playing right now. Like, that's the team you, nobody wants to be seeing. We'll see how their divisional uh, round goes. Uh, jumping over the NL, Mitch. Mets and Padres. Mets hosting these ones. 100-win Mets. And they dropped this series 2-1. to one. Uh, Padres won game 1-7-1. One, one. Mets get game 2-7-3. Padres shut out the Mets with a 6-0 game 3 victory on the road to advance to play the Dodgers. Uh, we both picked the Mets in this one. Again, I mean, they were a 100-win team. How could you not pick the Mets based on what they did in the regular season? But, yeah, Padres showing some fight. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, at game one, Scherzer looked like that oblique thing that he'd been dealing with was still bothering yeah. him. I mean, he was yeah. not sharp at all. And, um, that I mean, that just set the tone for the rest of the series. Uh, really, for after sure. that 7-1 loss in game one, that just set the tone for the rest of the series. They bounced back in game two, but... Man, it it was going to be t I think it was an uphill battle, even though they won game two, it was going to be an uphill battle for them after that game one blowout. So quite honestly, the, the team that should have won probably won here. Yeah, I think that's a great point there, Mitch. Uh, the other NL series, Phillies at Cardinals. NL Central division winner Cardinals hosting the wildcard team, and we both picked St. Louis in this one and Albert Pujols career ends. With a wild card sweep, Phillies won both games in St. Louis, 6-3 in game one, shut out 2-0 in game two. Uh, you know, we we expected more. We talked about it. Yad Molina, Wainwright, you know, Pujols, everyone's back. We thought I thought they'd make a bit of a run, right? Maybe not, you know, World Series run, but, you know, NLCS. maybe get to the NLCS, like at least yeah. get past the wild card. But, man, this Phillies team. The NL East has been tricky, right? We saw the Nationals go on to win a, a World Series a couple of years ago. Saw the Braves last year, you know, go on. And all of a sudden, now the Phillies making a bit of a run here. Could they be tricky in round two? We'll see. But, uh, man, uh, I was really surprised by the, by Philadelphia. You know, Philly's showing some characteristics that are pretty, they're pretty synonymous with the city of Philadelphia, and they're scrappy. Yeah, they fight hard, and they, and they, they, you know. It wasn't like it was close wins for him, but man, they were 
they scrapped. They scrapped for those two victories. And so, again, like the Mariners, another team that feels like they could make a deep run if things go right for them. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, uh, fun, fun wild card round. I, I enjoyed that format. I like the you new know, format. Yeah, yeah. we saw, you know, I think we saw a mix of things, right? You have, in one case, the Guardians are the favorite. They get it done two games. You know, maybe that's more of what we'll expect. We had a couple of teams that were the underdog, win two straight games on the road, and then we had one go back and forth, three games. So I think we saw a little bit of all the different scenarios, uh, and I'm excited to see what that will become in the future, Mitch. Let's jump over to the divisional series here, and let's start in the AL with, uh, I love how these matchups lined up, by the way. Lots of divisional matchups here in, in the divisional series, and we'll get into some of these. And let's start in the uh, AL, Mitch, with an AL West matchup. The Seattle Mariners and the Houston Astros facing off here. We just talked about the ends and how hot they've been, but Houston had the best record in the AL this season, and they were, for the whole season, the best team in this league. Uh, is that going to be enough here in the postseason? I guess we'll see, but uh, I guess I'll start with you. Where, what is your prediction for this series? Well, as of recording this right now, bottom nine, Mariners up 7-5. Okay. I think yes. it's important for the Astros to get a game and uh, get a win in game one. They're not doing it right now. And like I just said, this Mariners team, there's something different about this Mariners team that I really, really like. Give me the Mariners in five. Mariners in five, Mitch. Wow. I like the Mariners in five over the AL West champs Astros. I mean, and this team just, they, 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 there's just, there's something special about this team. It gives me 90, you know, 96 or 95 Mariners, 2000, you know, it, down to this 2001 Mariners crap where they won 116 games and blew it in the DS. Like, this feels like 95 Mariners, where there's some fight in them. And I and I like that. I, I like the Mariners here. Mitch, I, I love that you were so out on the M's in the wild card, rolling with the Blue Jays here. And now you're convinced you're all in. I love hey, it, man. I, I don't blame you. I don't I am, blame you. I am a man of integrity. I am. I will admit when I'm wrong. And I was wrong about the Mariners. And I'm going to ride with them. I, I feel right. like I owe it to the Mariners to ride with them. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mitch, I, oh man, this is a tough one, but fuck the Astros. I'm picking fuck the Mariners in this one, uh, but I'm going to go seven games because I cannot be as bullish as you and say, oh wait, it was only five games. It's only you're five right. games. Oh, yeah. you're right. Okay. I was here. I was thinking, I was like, Mitch, five games. I was thinking, Wow, he's he's really high. Okay, so I will go five games as well because I think it's going to come down to that final one. But I, right, right, right. I'm with you, though. I just feel like they feel like a team of destiny right now. We talk about this every year. And in Major League Baseball, it's true more than every other professional playoff, right, that you could see that team of destiny really just come through and make that run, right? It occasionally happens in the NFL. It rarely happens in the NBA. But in the major leagues, like you could be a wild card team and win the World Series. It is we see it. I mean, we just saw it a couple of years ago with the Nationals. It exactly. just happened. So uh, I, I, it feels like we're trending that way. So yeah, I'm going Seattle five there. There we go. With you on that, Mitch. Other AL matchup: Cleveland Guardians getting it done in the first round, and they'll be taking on the New York Yankees, the Bombers in the Bronx. Uh, Mitch, this is. I think a sneaky good matchup, I, you know, guardians were impressive in that wild card uh, sweep 
I think they're maybe being a little overlooked as a team, but I am going to roll with the Yankees in this one. I can't, I can't pick against New York. Uh, I'm going to go Yankees in four. I'm, I am right on board with you. I mean, this team is, I think the only team right now that could really compete in a world series scenario with the Dodgers. And I, I, I just, I, this Yankees team is so damn good. I, I'm, I'm going to give Cleveland one. I'm going to give Cleveland one. They're going to, yeah. they're going to eke one out, but really. Probably that what, first home game in Cleveland, you know. But man, Yankee Stadium in October is one of the toughest places to play in all of sports. And that, that's going to be a tough environment. So uh, I'm going to give the well-groomed, well-built New York Yankees uh, the edge here in this one. Yankees in four. Fair enough. Uh, Mitch, you were updating us earlier on this game, but it has gone final. Houston did pull out the win over the Mariners eight to seven. So the Astros do win game one of this series at home eight to seven. Uh, So there you go. We were discussing that. again. How'd they win that? I mean, they were down two Uh, runs. They had they had two uh, two runners on with two outs there, first and second Uh, in the bottom of the ninth. So uh, needed a big hit. Got it. They got that win. So we we. We I'm still in on the M's. Yeah, we're I'm still, still rolling in on the M's. Five. It can still happen. We're, we're, we're with it. Mitch, let's jump over to the NL, and let's start with uh, my Dodgers. Uh, again, a great matchup. NL West, Padres, Dodgers. Listen, I would have loved to see, you know, I wasn't excited to see the Mets. It would have been a great series, but I, I just love great matchups, right? I loved that the Dodgers and the Giants got to play last season in the playoffs. I loved that. Even if we had lost that series, all good. I That is what we live for. That's the kind of stuff we want. And this is a great series uh, between two rivals here, Padres and Dodgers. Padres upsetting the Mets in the first round. I am picking Dodgers and four, Mitch. Uh, I'm not rolling against LA. I think they're going to get it done. And I am going to give the Padres a game because that is a tough foe who knows you very well. But I'm going to roll with the Dodgers in four. Yeah, the only reason I'm not doing Dodgers in three is because the Padres have played the Dodgers so many times this year that yep. they they have some they have a lot of familiarity with this team. And so I think they'll find a way to we, to win one of these games. But I mean, this is David and Goliath. I mean, it's it's really hard to not pick the Dodgers here. I know David won that matchup, but, you know, <laughs> but it's I, I it, it's not going to ring true in this series. I got to take the Dodgers in four as well. I know that we're really on board with each other here, but we might be split in this last matchup. Well, yeah, well, I was going to say, we'll see how we, we sit on this last one, Mitch, and that's going to be the Phillies and the Braves. Uh, Phillies upsetting the Cardinals, as we mentioned. NL East matchup, Phillies, Braves, so many great divisional matchups here in the divisional series. Uh, And in game one, Mitch, earlier today, as uh, earlier before we recorded, the Phillies got game one on the road. So they beat the Braves 7-6 in game one. Phillies lead the series 1-0, securing that road win that they needed. Uh, so pressure is going to be on the defending champ, Atlanta Braves. Where are you? Is that going to change where you pick in this in this matchup at all, and where are you going? I think my preseason pick was the Dodgers to meet the Braves in the NLCS. I think so. I think so. And I almost correctly had it that the Mets would win the division and the Braves would be the wild card. However, that Very flipped cool in the last yeah. that that uh got flipped in the last couple days of the season. I I like this Braves team a ton. They're super talented, but like 
the Mariners, this Phillies team just has something different about them. And I'm going to take the Phils in five. I'm going to take the Phils in five here. Like I said, they're playing traditional Philadelphia sports baseball right now, which is scrappy. They're going to they're going to they're going to scrap out three ones and get it three two. You know, they're they're not someone that's going to blow you away. But, man, they just do all the little things right. And I think they're going to that's going to really pay dividends against a really fine tuned Braves team in the long run. I like the Phils in five. Man, I love that, Mitch. Uh, I am going to roll with the Braves. I'm going to go Atlanta in five here. Uh, Best team in the division this year. Defending World Series champs. I think it's going to be Dodgers, Braves in the NLCS. I got to go. I got to roll with Atlanta here. And we will differ on this last pick. So there we go. We got got one difference here. Uh, We'll see how accurate we are on these picks this time around. How accurate? Yeah, how accurate we are. All right, Uh, But uh, it should be a fun (laughs) divisional series. I'm looking forward to it. That'll be a fun one. That will be probably the more entertain, the most entertaining one, I think, is Braves Phillies. I think that that one's going to be a a barn burner. Absolutely. Mitch, uh, you got a NASCAR update for the folks before we get into the campus tour. I do. A NASCAR update. We were at the Charlotte Roval last week. Christopher Bell getting the win done. It looked like it was going to be a fuel mileage race, a pitch strategy race with Chase Elliott jumping out to a huge lead there with about 30 laps to go, making the right pitch strategy call. He winds up not even finishing in the top 10 um, because chaos ensued in those last few laps. Christopher Bell gets the win here. Kevin Harvick second, uh, Kyle Busch third. AJ Allmendinger, the part-timer, who's actually going to be going full-time for college racing next year. Comes home in fourth, Justin Haley fifth, uh, Busher, Wallace, Reddick, Briscoe, and Dylan round out your top ten. Uh, so Christopher Bell locks himself into the round of eight. Moving on, because we had playoff cuts this week, Dallin. Austin Cindric, Daniel Suarez, Kyle Larson, the defending champion, and Alex Bowman, who has been out for the last couple of races with conduct- concussion syndrome or concussion symptoms, are going to be eliminated uh, after the round of twelve. Larson lost that one in the last few laps. He was actually two points to the good. Lost that one in the last couple of laps. Daniel Suarez was actually, I believe, sixth in points coming into this race. Lost power steering um, and absolutely muscled that car home. I got to check where exactly he finished. Um, But if you're driving a race car on a road course without power steering, that is an incredible task to handle it's it's darn near impossible with all that weight and all that power. He came, yeah. he brought he brought it home 36th running. Um, but I mean, that's just, it, it absolutely wore him out. He drove the hell out of that thing for, you know, for, for all what it's worth, but um, coming up a little bit short there. Um, so now the round of eight ensues next week, we're going to have the South point 400 at Las Vegas motor speedway. So we'll be in sin city, uh, for the first race of the round of eight, a uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of s- housekeeping. We got to take care of some silly season. Uh, so silly season in NASCAR is kind of the equivalent of free agency uh, contract negotiations, stuff like that. Um, just broke earlier uh, this afternoon. Tyler Reddick, uh, who announced that he was leaving Richard Childress racing, going over to 2311, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan's team. Uh, in 2024 and was going to have that awkward one year that he was going to run 
uh, for RCR, probably in a third charter team situation because Kyle Busch will be driving the eight car next year. Um, 23-11 bought out Tyler Reddick's contract today, uh, which means that he actually will be starting to race for 23-11 racing a year earlier than what was planned. So he'll start racing for them in 2023. This raises a lot of different questions about will Richard Childress follow through with the third charter, uh, maybe bring in one of the developmental drivers like Austin Hill up from the Xfinity series. But I think the biggest question mark that this brings up is what happens with Kurt Busch? I got it still technically got one year on his contract with 2311 in that 45 car. Now he's missed um, the second half of the season with concussion like symptoms um, and has basically just taken himself out of the car for health reasons. In my opinion, this is this is the point where Kurt Busch should just call it a career. Yeah, he's sure. he's done everything and he's he's had, you know, he's proved everything he has to prove here. He's won championships. He's won Daytona 500s. He's won different crown jewel events. Um, maybe he does like a part time deal with, you know, with some team. But um, this is the right time for him to step away from this. Tyler Reddick will step into the 45 next year. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where we're at. I mean, it, it's uh, it, that was a big move. I wasn't expecting a buyout. I guess it was on the table. But um, Tyler Reddick going to be going to 2311 driving for Michael Jordan. Uh, a year earlier than anticipated. There you go. Yeah, I mean, that makes more sense that way anyways. Again, you avoid that awkward middle year and uh, kind of get things shuffling a little quicker. Uh, I guess, like you said, some few uh, sort of lingering effects. We'll see how those play out with Kurt Busch and others. But uh, there you go. Final yeah. eight NASCAR coming down to the wire. Uh, Absolutely. Love to see it. Mitch, let's get into the campus tour and let's start with our week six recap and look at some of the most notable games from this last week. And I want to start in the big 12 with one of the matchups that we highlighted in our picks last week, TCU in Kansas, number 17, TCU at number 19, Kansas. You picked the horn dogs, the horn dogs. (laughs) (laughs) The horn dogs. That's all time. That's all time. Uh, <laughs> the horn dog. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, that oh. is a Freudian slip if I've ever had one. Um. That's, that's an all time moment. Wow. <laughs> the horn dogs. Holy cow. Um. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I got a great new nickname idea for him, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Horned Frogs. Uh, the Horned Frogs, okay. <laughs> Has yeah. anyone else made that mistake before? Please let me know. Uh, the Horned Frogs. Got it done. I picked the Jayhawks. Uh, Jalen Daniels knocked out of this game. He's the quarterback for Kansas. He's been so good. Mitch, can compose yourself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just so that was so good. Oh man, yeah. That's, sorry, uh, sorry. TCU Kansas, TCU Kansas. I'm sorry. Okay. Jalen Daniels out. Jason Bean comes in. He was the starter before Daniels took over last year. TCU gets this win on the road. This was a thriller, Mitch. Back and forth, all game punches thrown by both teams, metaphorically, obviously. I'm sure it's a heated Big 12 rivalry, but I didn't see any actual punches. But a great matchup all the way around. Stars come into play. Max Duggan, the quarterback for TCU, had a big game. Quinton Johnston. 
Uh, this is a guy that's going to be on the players to know before the NFL draft at some point. One of those wide receiver prospects. He had, finally had a big breakout game. 14 catches, 206 yards, and a touchdown for TCU. And TCU gets this win, proves to 5-0 and on the season. Big win on the road in conference play. Uh, I took Kansas. I thought this would be a tight game, but I'm pretty impressed with this TCU team and what Sonny Dykes is doing in his first year uh, there as the head man. Yeah, impressive win for the for the Horn Frogs. Um, I, I, I mean, it, it, look, it, it, it's always tough when your starting quarterback goes down. So Kansas was kind of fighting an uphill battle yeah. for for most of the day. Um, Bean stepped in and did a fantastic job, but you know when you when you lose a guy when you lose a guy like that, it, it's it's always going to be a up, uphill battle. So um, you know, great win for the Horn Dogs. Yes, Mitch. Great win for the Horn Dogs. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm never gonna live that one down, am I? <laughs> nah, nah. Uh, you know, you know what wasn't a good Big Twelve matchup though, Mitch. What's that? One that's usually one of the best Big Twelve matchups that we get every year: the Red River Showdown, Texas and Oklahoma. But this was an absolute snooze fest, Mitch. Texas just obliterate the Sooners 49 to nothing in this game. Uh, it was never close as 28, nothing at halftime and Oklahoma just feel seemingly just like fell off a cliff. Right. I mean, they were like a top 10 team for most of this country or for most of the season, they lose to Kansas state. You know, and then they lose to TCU and both those were good teams. It was like, all right, they dropped out of top 25, but they're probably still good. But I mean, they just got embarrassed, embarrassed by the Longhorns. Quinn Ewers had a big day. Uh, Bajon had a big day. Everybody had a big day for Texas. Uh, this is bad, Mitch. This is bad. Well, yeah, this is tough. I mean, Dylan Gabriel goes down. It wasn't a good, a good deal for for Oklahoma from the beginning. Uh, Quinn Ewers finally looks like um, a, a, like he could be competent consistently. Like he's, yep. he, he's not having those, those issues that he was having in the first few weeks. Bijan Robinson elite continues to be elite. Um, yeah. I think that everything we thought we knew about Oklahoma is just a lie. It, it's just a lie. Um and it, it, the biggest one of the biggest farces of of the college football season so far is the Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, I mean, not the way you want the season to be going for first year head coach Brett Venables. But it's a tough situation with Riley leaving and taking all that talent. And uh, I mean, I don't think they were ever deserving of a top 10 ranking. Clearly, uh, we'll see how they bounce back from an embarrassing loss here to their rivals. Uh, but Mitch, uh, let's talk about another great matchup. One of our picks from last week, Pac-12, UCLA and Utah. And the Bruins getting it done at home 42 to 32. Uh, sort of kind of put the game out of reach late in it. But for the most part, this was a pretty close competitive game uh, up until, you know, the final, you know, quarter maybe or, or so. Uh, but I thought this was an impressive win for UCLA, Mitch. I mean, I picked Utah. You picked Utah. I locked the Utes last week. Huge mistake. I don't know why I was doing that. But I is this more 
Utah is not very good, or is this more UCLA is like really good? This is more UCLA is really good. Uh, okay. Dorian Dorian Thompson Robinson looked absolutely fantastic. Zach Charbonnet, a guy that you highlighted earlier this year, um, I believe in week zero um, as a guy to keep an eye on, was fantastic. 22 for 198 and a touchdown. Um, I think this is more UCLA is just really, really good. I don't think that Utah's a bad team by any means. Uh, Cam Rising did not have a good day, but um, this is this is way more indicative of UCLA has to be taken seriously now. And Utah, well, you probably shouldn't sleep on them. They're not as big of a threat as um, maybe the preseason polls would have indicated. Yep. Yeah, they're not a sleeper playoff team like a lot of people wanted to discuss this offseason, right? Uh, clearly, I mean, with these first couple, uh, with two losses already on the season, I, I am with you there. I think UCLA is better than I anticipated. I also do think, though, that this is part Utah isn't as good as we thought. Uh, their defense is clearly not that defense that everyone expects them to be. That was the problem in the Florida loss. It was clearly the problem in this game, giving up 42 to the Bruins. So that defense, though it has talent, uh, they are young. They lost some players. They're going to take a couple years to be back to that like true top 25 Utah defense that we're familiar with. So I do think it's a down year for the defense that should be considered. Uh, they're going to have to win games by shootouts. And I still think they can win nine or 10 games in the Pac-12. But uh, yeah, I mean, UCLA is legit. And we'll see uh, when they get another good test on the season. I mean, big holes in the point of attack for the Utes. I mean, they're just getting dominated in the line of scrimmage right now. Yep. Uh, it's, I yep. mean, that that's, not necessarily where their strength has always been. It's kind of been the secondary and that second level, right? The linebackers and everything, but like they're just getting pushed around right now. And that was, yep. became very evident UCLA when facing UCLA's front five. For sure. For sure. Mitch, uh, the last couple storylines here, a couple of the big upsets, ranked teams dropping games to unranked opponents, uh, BYU and Kentucky. Let's start with the Wildcats. Number 13, losing at home to South Carolina, 24 to 14. Uh, no Will Levis in this game. Uh, obviously, that's, you know, a big factor in this. But this was supposed to be a good Kentucky team outside of Will Levis, right? That's why people were buying in to the Wildcats this season, right? That's why they were top 10 at one point. It wasn't just because of Will Levis. This was supposed to be a, an improved Kentucky team with a really good defense. You know, obviously this offense was rough, but this is not a good look uh, to lose to an unranked South Carolina team that, you know, hasn't looked great this season. They're four and two, but they really haven't looked impressive. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that Will Levis has more of an impact on this Kentucky offense than I think we realize. Uh, Chris Rodriguez put work in, he put work in 22 for 126. It was really Sharon, and I'm blanking on this, but Kaya, Kaya Sharon, that, you know, you just can't trust him the same way you trust Will Levis to push the ball down the field. And that's really what Will Levis, you know, really made his name on was being able to throw the deep ball, push the ball down the field. And uh, Kaya Sharon just can't do that. So, like, sure. if you can't lean on the if you can lean on the run game to put still put in the same work, but the, the guy behind your star quarterback doesn't do the same things, it, it makes it really tough. Uh, for you guys moving forward. The, I think South Carolina is a team that's not as good as the record indicates. And so this is this is really just showing, I think, the impact that Will Levis has on that Kentucky offense. Yeah, 
Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, the other other upset, Mitch, BYU falling to Notre Dame, 28 to 20 to the Irish. I mean, I say this is an upset, but Notre Dame's favored here in this neutral site game in Las Vegas. So obviously they're a ranked team that lost. Uh, not a good showing for the Cougars. They were down pretty big in the third. Did make it close towards the stretch. Had a shot. The game was 25-20. They had a shot to go up twice at the end of that game. Uh, couldn't get it done. Uh, disappointing for BYU. Jaron Hall not looking good. Notre Dame, though, on the other hand, Drew Pine, that quarterback, took over. Tyler Buckner won the job out of fall camp, uh, but has been replaced with Pine, and Pine has won their last three games uh, as the starter. He's actually looked really good. Uh, so maybe Notre Dame's caught on to something with this Drew Pine kid. I would love to see them play more good teams, though, right? Because they beat Cal, they beat North Carolina. That's fine. Those aren't very good P5 teams, right? Now you beat BYU. Well, BYU is a pretty good, uh, you know, power five team. So, okay, like who else, like how else do you look? I'd love to see who else they'll play. So we'll see as the season goes how good this Notre Dame team is. But after a horrible start for Marcus Freeman, uh, good for them and good for him to to turn things around pretty quick there. Yeah, I mean, a good turnaround for Notre Dame. Drew Pine seems like he's going to be the guy there. Um, you mentioned Jared Hall just not looking good whatsoever. Um, tough, tough look for the Cougs. Tough, tough yep. look for the Cougs. Yes. Uh, Mitch, let's get into some of our superlatives. And I want to start here. So we've got a new sort of a uh, new element to add to the campus tour. Uh, our Heisman watch. It's uh, especially that time of year, six, seven weeks into the season. Uh, the Heisman Award, the best college football player. Uh, Mitch and I are going to come up with a consensus top five rankings week by week for our Heisman list, our Heisman watch list, who should be at the top. Uh, we're unveiling it for the first time this week. And again, we'll update this week by week as, uh, you know, performances happen and games uh, are seen. But Mitch, let's. Uh, unveil our first version of our Heisman watch. Uh, do you want to read us off five through one, and then maybe we could dig into some of these guys? Yeah, so number five for our Heisman watch is quarterback out of TCU, Max Duggan. Number four, quarterback out of Mississippi State, Will Rogers. Quarterback out of Tennessee, Hendon Hooker is going to be number three. Quarterback C.J. Stroud from Ohio State is number two. And quarterback from USC, Caleb Williams is at the top of the list right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen, I want to start here at the top. I think, and I, I think we were in agreement here that the top two guys have to be in some order. Caleb Williams, CJ Stroud. You agreed to put Caleb Williams first. I know that you maybe leaned a little more towards CJ Stroud, but I think undoubtedly those are the two guys at the top of the board this college football season. Give me your impressions of C.J. Stroud, and then I, I have some thoughts I want to share on, on Caleb Williams. Yeah, I mean, look, C.J. Stroud right now is the best passer in all of college football. Seven, uh, a little over 1,700 yards, 24 touchdowns, and only three interceptions, 94.8 QBR. All the stats point towards C.J. Stroud being the, the lead number one guy here. Um, he is uh, a, a playoff contending quarterback. Um, he's completing over 70% of his passes. In fact, this year he has a quarterback rating of 207.6, which is absurd, absurd that this guy would put this up. I mean, this is, he should easily break the mark of what he did last year in 2021 
um, as far as as, stati- as far as statistics go. And I and I believe right now the road should only get easier for him. Like he's going to have some other um, big matchups, but like there's nothing in his way right now that says that he's going to have a game that you know. And of course I could be proven wrong, but nothing that points in the direction of that. Like he's going to have this game where this is going to be a tough matchup for CJ Stroud. He just makes it look easy. And if a guy makes it look that easy, he has to be at the top of the list for me, especially with the numbers to back it up. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And and he has been impressive, no doubt. That's why he deserves to be up here. I think the reason why I lean Caleb Williams right now is because ultimately the Heisman is a narrative award, Mitch. It's a narrative award, and it's who's the sexiest pick? Who do we like the most? Who feels like represents this season more than anybody else, right? It's usually kind of how it comes, you know, I mean, cause all these guys put up crazy good numbers. All of them win 12, 13 games. There's, you know, sometimes you can't differentiate statistically. I think Caleb Williams is going to be the narrative pick and right now should be the narrative pick because he's been one of the great stories. USC has been one of the stories of the season, the return of USC, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, it's working, right? And he has been, Fantastic for the Trojans, just under 1,600 passing yards, completing about 65% of his passes, 14 touchdowns, one interception. He's got three rushing touchdowns on the ground as well. And I watched him a bit this last week. I watched uh, some of that game. And the impression that I had watching him, Mitch, is he reminds me a lot. And I like I hate this. I I thought it and then I hated it. And then I hated that I was going to say it. But here I am saying it. Uh, he reminds me of Patrick Mahomes when he throws just the style that he plays with oh. the way that he throws the ball. Uh, he had one touchdown pass in, in, in the last game. I think it's Washington state where they last played uh, on the run, uh, you know, does a little like Mahomes like flick just sort of out there and just this rifles it into the end zone for a touchdown. And, and man, it just makes me excited for the 2024 NFL draft when uh, he's going to be uh, a potential prospect there but i just think he's again i i think all these guys have been great Sat, stroud has the numbers by far on him don't get me wrong but i think narratively this is more of a story of usc and caleb williams than it has been for the buckeyes i mean if you want to look at the heisman trophy odds right now i haven't pulled up cj stroud minus 140 to win the heisman caleb williams is second a distant plus 1000 kind so of- like that that's where we're at right now. Not yep. saying that betting odds have really any influence on on who wins a Heisman Trophy, but you know it's it's an interesting statistic yep. to just hold on yep. to, I guess. There you go. Yeah, I think the top two are really locked in there. After that, you know, the three names we landed on: Hooker, Rogers, Duggan, all guys that deserve recognition for the great seasons that they're having. Ultimately, for any of them to be in the legitimate Heisman conversation by the end of the season. Other teams are going to have to have special seasons, right? TCU, Mississippi State, Tennessee have to be like one loss to uh, conference champs and for them to continue to put the numbers they do. But they're great stories right now, and I think they're well-deserving to be in this. We didn't have, as you probably noticed, they're all quarterbacks. There wasn't a defensive player that stood out to us in a particular way that felt like he needed to be on here. The one non-quarterback that we did legitimately discuss was running back Blake Corum out of Michigan, who's had a great season himself. I think he leads the nation in rushing touchdowns, one of the top rushers uh, this year. So he deserves to maybe be considered, but uh, that's our top five for right now. We feel pretty good about it, right, Mitch? I do feel good about that. I do feel good. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, it's again, a fluid we'll, list. It could change exactly. next week. Exactly. Well, Rogers could be number one next week. You never know. Uh, Mitch, upset of the week. 
I'll let you go first here. What, what did you, what, uh, which one did you have? Uh, so I had Arizona state over Washington. This was, I mean, let's just be honest. Embarrassing for Washington. Embarrassing that you would lose to a team, Arizona state, a team that fired their head coach earlier this year and Herm Edwards. It's a uh, Michael Penix. Though he throws for 311, just re- didn't really look good at all. Yeah. Um, they had they put up 38, but it felt like they always were struggling to get something going offensively. Arizona State seemed to just they they had a huge second quarter. They put up 21. This was just kind of a an embarrassing loss for the Washington Huskies, a, a, a team I know that you and I both were were high on just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, you know, coming off that Michigan State win, they get ranked and. Uh, they've lost two straight now. The 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 loss last week at UCLA was understandable, right? That's why they didn't drop out of the rankings. There's a lot of respect for the Bruins, and rightfully so here. But this loss is, as you said, just bad. Uh, Arizona State is not a good program. You can't afford to lose this. Even on the road, I that is just not good for the Huskies. So uh, certainly showing to be more frauds. Uh, than they were real. Uh, my upset of the week, uh, we, we talked about it earlier, but I'm going South Carolina over Kentucky. Uh, I know there's respect for the Gamecocks and no Will Levis, but top 13 team uh, losing like that at home, not a good look. Mitch, player of the week. This was an easy one for me. He had the biggest week of anybody in college football. Israel, I've been a Kanda. He's the running back for the Pitt Panthers, and he had a record-setting performance. 36 rushes, 320 rushing yards, and six tutties for your boy. Uh, wow, a big day for Abinakanda, Mitch. And I loved this for him because he's a name. Uh, he's had a good start to the season for Pitt. Pitt, you know, they were ranked for a little bit. They sort of flirted around that top 25 range. Uh, but he has had a pretty good season and I've seen some draft analysts sort of just throw him out there in the running back class of like, Hey, here's a guy. He's fun. He's got good size. He's got showing really well. Like maybe he's a late round guy. And then he puts on this performance and all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, okay. now we need to start paying attention to this. I've been a Kanda kid, huge day for him. Uh, again, six tutties, 320 yards. That is wild. So uh shouts out Israel. I've been a Kanda. Yeah, that's an easy one. That's that's an easy one. What a what a day for a bit of Kanda. Um, I went with quarterback from Ohio, not Ohio State, not Miami, Ohio, <laughs> just Ohio. Giving a little shout out to the Mac. Curtis Rourke was 24 for 27, 427 and three touchdowns last week against Akron. Look, I think this get, this kid's getting slept on a little bit. Uh, the 6'3", 216 junior. A Canadian, apparently. Wow, from Oakville, Ontario. So, oh, a, a Canadian. Yeah. I didn't know they had football up there in Canada. Well, they have the Canadian Football League, Dallin. What are you talking about? Of course they have football. <laughs> Look, he's fifth in the nation right now on passing yards at 1944. 14 touchdowns, two interceptions, a QBR of 63. Um, guy has had um, a QB, or QB rating, excuse me, a QB rating of 100 or better. Over the last four weeks, I was Iowa State, Fordham, Kent State, and Akron. Um, so I know there's not a whole lot of competition that comes out of the MAC, but we should uh, be giving Kevin or Curtis Rourke a uh, a special shout out here. Some action, action football on Thursday nights that you don't want to miss, and uh, he absolutely <laughs> lit it up this week. 
Love it. Love it. Yeah. Shout outs to the Mac. Uh, Return of the Mac. You love to see it there. Uh, great pull, Mitch. Best moment slash play of the week. Uh, best best moment here is going to go to the end of the game between Maryland and Purdue. This was one of our picks last week. In fact, Mitch, uh, you picked the Terrapins. I picked the Boilermakers. Purdue gets one, gets this one done. Maryland was trailing eight. They drive down the field and they score a touchdown, Mitch, with 30 seconds left on a great play by Tawalia Tungavailoa, younger brother of Tua there for Maryland. They're down two, so they need to go for the two-point conversion. They do so. Talia scrambles, scrambles to the right, finds a guy in the end zone, ties it up, but there's a penalty. Offensive lineman downfield. They got to play it again, and it is unsuccessful on the second attempt uh, out of the back of the end zone, and Purdue hang, hung on to win. Uh, just a fun sequence there for what was a really competitive back-and-forth game. Uh, one of those games I thought was going to be really fun this week uh, that ended up so. Uh, so there you go. That's uh, best moment play of the week. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mitch, our AP poll top 25 rankings reaction. We'll just go over these real quick. Uh, some of the changes this past week and a big one up at the top as the Georgia Bulldogs take over the number one spot. Alabama falls to number three. The top 10 stayed the same, but the order shuffled. So that's the only difference this week. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. Michigan, Clemson, that's the top five now. So, or sorry, Clemson, Michigan. Uh, so that's sort of uh, the difference there in the top five. Tennessee moves up two spots, jumping over USC, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Penn State, round out the top 10 there. So again, all that the same. UCLA, Mississippi State make the biggest leaps, seven spots respectively. UCLA up to number 11, Mississippi State up to number 16. Utah and Kentucky, after their losses, fall nine spots to 20 and 22, respectively. BYU falls out of the top 25. They were 29th in receiving votes uh, outside of the top 25 there. Uh, the new the newcomers to the top 25 this week, Texas, after their sh- blowout of Oklahoma, up to number 22. Illinois, the Fighting Illini, making their first appearance since, I believe, 2017 or 2018. It has been five or so years since Illinois has been ranked at the top 25. They joined at number 24. And then James Madison, Mitch, of the Sun Belt, after just five games at the FBS level. They were literally an FCS team last year. Five games at the FBS level. They're 5-0, and and they're ranked number 25. Incredible for James Madison. You love to see it. You do love to see uh, any sort of Sunbelt representation, but especially for a team from the FCS to get into that in their first five games at FBS level play. uh, Fantastic. Um, I don't have any qualms with um, with the shuffling of the top 10. Just to note that a little bit. Uh, Alabama did eke one out over Texas A&M, a 24-20 win. While Georgia and Ohio State just took care of business against two unranked opponents. So I think we're going to see a lot of that though. And quite honestly, I, I really don't care for rank number one every week. So that I'm okay with this. Yeah. Well, and you even look at like even first place votes, for example, Georgia, Georgia is a very narrow lead over Ohio state and Ohio state, very narrow over Alabama. Georgia had 32 first place votes. Ohio state had 20 Alabama had 11. So all of those teams received significant first place votes. I think you're right. I think, uh, on a week-to-week basis, we may see one of those three uh, sort of cycle into that number one spot. Exactly. But, Dallin, 
Speaking of Illinois getting into the top 25, this leads into the college football trivia question of the week. And I know that you just mentioned that this was the first time Illinois had gotten into the top 25 since like 2017. That's actually yeah. not the last time they were in the top 25. This is the first time they were ranked in the top 25 since 2011. Uh, oh, okay. I was way off. There you go. 10 years. When, Jeez. when they started 6-0 and and then lost six straight and won their bowl game against UCLA. The first of those six straight losses came to Ohio State. At the time, Ohio State was using a committee backfield headed up by Dan Heron in this future second round pick. Ooh, okay. 2011 Ohio State running back, right? Right. In a committee backfield, future second round pick. Ooh. Ooh, this is this is tricky. Oh, Mitch, I'm pulling a name out that I haven't thought of in forever. I don't know if this is correct. I don't even know what the timeline here is. I don't even know if his name is correct. Master Teague. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Master Teague. <laughs> I swear there was an Ohio State running back. I'm looking it up now. Okay. Yeah. Hell's yeah. Master Teague. Ohio State running back. Uh, he's too. Uh, no, no, I'm way off here. Yeah, he just ended his his uh, his his Ohio State career, so I'm way off on years. Okay. Um, down. This is Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde. Okay. Was a sophomore in 2011 huh. and was splitting time essentially with Dan Heron in that Ohio State backfield. I didn't I, I didn't even think Ohio State with with Carlos Hyde. I, don't, I didn't put that together. There you go. Yeah. I, I, and on, to be honest with you, the other guy, I didn't even I've never heard of that guy in my life. Dan Heron. I know not former major league pitcher Dan Heron, but <laughs> former Ohio State running back yeah. Dan Heron. There you go. Love to see it. Shout out Carlos Hyde. Browns, uh, Seahawks, man. He's played God, he's Texans by he's the played Niners. A lot yeah. of teams. Jeez, man. Journeyman, there you go. Uh, Midge, games to watch this week. We went over uh, some of the games that we picked uh, last week in our picks last week. Mitch got four points. I got one to to review those again, just real quick. Tennessee and LSU. Mitch and I pulled both picked the Vols. The Vols got the win, but Mitch locked the Vols at minus three. Uh, they covered that and then some. So three points there for Mitch. Uh, we both picked Utah. I locked Utah. Utah loses. Big L for me. TCU in Kansas. Mitch picked TCU. I picked Kansas. You, Mitch gets a point there. And then Purdue, Maryland. I picked Purdue. Mitch picked Maryland. I get a point there. That's how we ended up with four points for Mitch on the week. One point for myself. That puts us on the season, Mitch. 17 points for you and 11 points for me. A six-point lead. Uh, in week seven of our picks, that's it turns quick, man. It, turns it happens quick. really quick. I think I was down <laughs> four, like not that long ago. It happens a lot. It happens real quick. So, yeah, you love to see it. We've got another great slate of games to pick this week. And let's start with your Crimson Tide, Mitch, a top 10 SEC matchup. Number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee. 
The Crimson Tide are favored minus seven and a half on the road over under 65. Uh, On Monday, Nick Saban told the media that he is hopeful that Bryce Young will be available for this game. Obviously, Bryce Young did not play in that win against Texas A&M. Freshman Jalen Milrow got the start, three touchdowns, also had three turnovers, but young player to be expected. This would be a big stage for Milrow if he does have to go, but there is a shot that Young would play, and obviously with this kind of matchup, if there's any opportunity for him to play, he will be playing. So all that to be said, Mitch, where do you want to go on this one? What's your pick? I'm going to go... I mean, I'm going to roll with the tide here. I'm going to roll with the tide. I, I don't think they'll cover. I think this will be a really, really tough road test for them. Um, I think that it is completely in the realm of possibility, and, and and there's quite a bit of likelihood that Tennessee upsets Alabama at home. So I like Jalen Milrow. I think that he is Alabama's version of Cardell Jones, a, a good, solid backup quarterback. But um Tennessee is going to be really, really tough. So I'll take Bama to win. I'm not going to take them to cover. And to be quite honest, I'm going to take the under in this one as well. Okay. Over under 65 there, taking the under. Mitch, I'm rolling with the Vols. Oh, I have a feeling that Bryce Young is not going to play in this game. And if it's Jalen Milrow in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium, 100,000 deep, uh, that that could be a tough place That's for tough. a freshman quarterback to play against a very good Vols team. Uh, again, I think under on here is good. It's, it's going to have to be a tough-fought defensive battle, uh, You know, similar to what we saw against Texas A&M, right? Low-scoring game. Can you stay in it? Can you have a shot at the end? But I'm going to go Tennessee at home here in an upset. I'm rolling with the Vols. Mm, okay. Sorry. So we'll see how no, that goes. I, I also got to get some points back here, you know, so... You know, I gotta, I gotta win some of these. We'll see, we'll see, uh, we'll see if I can make up some ground. There uh, you Pac, go. Pac-12 matchup number seven, USC on the road, arguably their toughest test of the season at Utah in Salt Lake. Number twenty, Utah, disappointing loss to the Bruins, but I think this is still a solid Utah team. They are favored at home, minus three and a half. Uh, the home bump there for the Utes. Over under 65 in this game as well. Mitch, I'll pick here first. And I'm going to roll with the Trojans of USC. I'm not letting Utah do this to me again, basically, is where I'm at on this one. I just picked the Utes. They burned me. Never again. I definitely do think, though, all things uh, joking aside, I do think Utah can win this game. Home field advantage. Tough place to play. Uh, USC, a lot of pressure on them. No pressure on Utah at this point, right? They just blew a game. They're four and two, right? I mean, they should lose to number seven USC. So just go out there and do something, right? Definitely an opportunity for an upset, but Trojans are for real. Utah defense is rough. Uh, I think it's a big, uh, big offensive output for the Trojans. This one has been one I've been back and forth a lot on. This is a huge bounce back game for Utah. If they can upset USC. This, I think, is a huge momentum shift for this entire program going forward for the rest of the year. Give me Utah. I'm going to take Utah. On okay. This I, I hope I don't get bit by the same Utah bug you did, but <laughs> I, I'm going to take Utah on this one. I'm not going to lock them, but I think that they can get it done. I think that there will be enough. 
the the home advantage in Salt Lake City is going to be huge for him. I I like Utah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough place to play, and and again, probably the biggest road test that the uh, Trojans will face this season. Mitch, ACC matchup next, number 15, NC State at number 18, Syracuse, the orange in the Carrier Dome. Big-time matchup here, Syracuse favorite at home, minus three, over under 43 and a half in this one, Mitch. Uh, my questions... My questions about this game start with Devin Leary, quarterback for NC State. It was knocked out in last week's win against Florida State. Uh, there hasn't really been a timetable given. Uh, the coach said, this is a direct quote, uh, quote, Devin is super tough. It could be this week. It could be six weeks. That doesn't seem very clear on what his injury is or what the timetable is. Uh, if he can't go in this one, this is going to be very tough for the Wolfpack. Their backup, Jake, Jack Chambers, came in and threw just one pass. Uh, they just ran the ball and played conservative with it. So that's not very reassuring as far as the confidence in the backup there. All of those things considered, Mitch, as much as I love the Wolfpack and as much as I really do think that they should be a contender in the ACC, without Devin Leary, there's no shot. So I'm going to go with the orange on this one. I'm rolling with Syracuse. Yeah, if there's no Devin Leary, man, that's a tough shot. And look, Syracuse defense right now, 14 points a game allowed. I like Garrett Schrader. I think this Syracuse offense is, is something really, really good. Without Devin Leary, NC State's going to have a lot of issues. Lock me in at Syracuse minus three at home, and I'll take the over in this one as well. I think okay. Syracuse has a potential to light it up over NC State, even as good as that defense is. Yeah, it's a low line, 43 and a half, but I like that. Mitch going with the orange and locking in Q's for the win over NC State at minus 3.0. Love it, Mitch. That leads us to our final game, a Big Ten top 10 matchup. Number 10, Penn State, the Nittany Lions, headed to the big house to take on number five, Michigan. The Wolverines favored minus seven in this game, over under 52 and a half. Jim Harbaugh is taking those fucking khakis. And he's getting a W on Saturday, Mitch. Lock in Michigan on this one. I know it's a big line. I know seven feels scary, but Penn State is not legit. Sean Clifford is a fraud of a quarterback. And Michigan's got this game by at least a tutty. Um, I feel very confident with that. Give me Michigan locking that in. Oh, the Sean Clifford hate. My God. I'd rather have the big red dog at quarterback, honestly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like J.J. McCarthy over Sean Clifford, too. Fuck Sean Clifford. Give me Michigan in this one. And yeah, this just, that, that just feels right. That just feels right. I wasn't so sure about it earlier, but now I know. No, this is, this is a good feeling. <laughs> Give me Michigan to get this one done. If I could lock yep. two, I would lock this one as well, actually, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I liked where you locked Syracuse. Those were actually the two I was debating Syracuse and Michigan. So I'm glad we differed on those because I was afraid we were going to lock the same. We haven't locked the same game yet this season. Have we? No, we haven't been able to be fans together. We haven't. So like, well, I kind of like competing against you. I don't no, want to be I know, but like for you. 
Yeah, I guess so. Saturday. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, those are our picks for this week. We'll see uh, how Mitch and I do uh, on these ones. To wrap up the campus tour, player to know before the NFL draft, Mitch, to recap the names we've seen so far last week, Joey Porter Jr., cornerback of the Nittany Lions, Penn State. He's legit. Uh, his quarterback sucks, though. Sean Clifford's ass. Okay. Uh, Drew Sanders, linebacker out of Arkansas. Bijan Robinson, running back from Texas. Jordan Addison, wide receiver, USC. Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. Those are the names on the list so far. And the newest entry to the player to know before the NFL draft, Michael Mayer, tight end for the Fighting Irish. And Mitch, I chose Mayer uh, in large part because I just saw him obliterate the BYU Cougars on Saturday night. BYU played Notre Dame at Allegiant Stadium, primetime matchup, and Mayer feasted against the Cougars. 11 receptions, 118 yards, and two touchdowns uh, for the big boy. 6'4", 265, Michael Mayer. And he was a highly touted guy coming out of high school, Big-time prospect coming to Notre Dame. He is a true junior, Mitch, and in three seasons already, in the midst of that BYU game, he set the all-time record at Notre Dame for career receptions for a tight end, uh, beating out Tyler Eifert for the record. And you can go look at Notre Dame's pedigree of tight ends. They have produced a great number of fantastic NFL tight ends. And for Mayer to be the top of that list is impressive in and of itself. Uh, You look at his measurables. Uh, he's he's huge, and he plays with such grace. He's got great hands. Obviously, the blocking upside, he's like another offensive tackle out there. And the pass-catching ability is great. He is not your modern tight end in the sense that he's not a, I don't know, like that sort of H-back flex tight end, like a Kittle, where he is blocking, but smaller, you know, smaller guy used kind of like a wide receiver in some tricky ways. Uh, there's, he's not the uh, X tight end, like a Kyle Pitts where, or a Gasicki, where it's like that guy is just an X receiver who is on the depth chart as a tight end. He's not any of that. He is, he is like a, an actual tight end, like a traditional tight end that you would be familiar with. Uh, a guy who's going to be lined up on the line of scrimmage, blocking the majority of the time, uh, but just has reliable hands uh, that you know that that target is going to be found and you can feel comfortable throwing it to him. And in a tight end class, Mitch, that is pretty good this year, but not great. Michael Mayer is going to be a first round pick. He might be the only first round tight end. And again, like there's a lot of good uh, you know, Brock Bowers, the Georgia tight end, not eligible this year. So before you're like, oh, what about Brock Bowers? Not eligible this year. So he's not going to be in the draft. He will be eventually, but Mayer is legit. Uh, he's tight end one for ESPN uh, across the board. All their analysts, McShay, Kuyper, he's tight end one at PFF. Run, you know, runs well. Uh, he just doesn't have the great speed. If he did, if he ran a four 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 five, he'd be like a top five pick. He'd be like a Kyle Pitts, but he's probably more mid, uh, you know, 15 to 25 range short of tight end prospect. But Mayer is legit. If you want a Hawkinson-esque tight end, if you want somebody of that caliber, like this is the guy in in this tight end class, he certainly stands out. So uh, that's your player to know before the NFL draft this week. Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame. You just described all his skill sets. And you know, the first guy that came to mind was Todd Heap. 
It was it's been a great it's a great that's a great comp, honestly. A great blocking tight end, but the ability to get out and get open and make some big catches for you. I mean, Todd Heap was the first one to come. Kyle Brady, uh, Dennis yep. Pitta, those type of tight ends that are just like block first, but can be a playmaker when you need them to do it. I love that. Love yep. that. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for the campus tour, Mitch. And that's going to do it for the first half of the podcast. So we're going to take a break, hit the mid roll. When we come back, we got a top five. Yeah. Mitch Holler for a dollar. Uh, and then, and then we'll have our NFL week five recap. Mitch, just laugh. It's okay. It's, it was awful. Sometimes you just <laughs> got to try things out, you know, and then yeah. they don't hit. Yeah. And then you I laugh know, I, and I'm, you move I'm on. with you. I'm with you. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> week five NFL recap, quick picks, all that on the other side. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back into the second half of the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Hope you enjoyed your little break there. Little quick break. It's time to get into the second part of the pod, Down, We got some NFL recaps, some superlatives we're going to go over during that recap. We got our quick picks coming up. But first, Dallin, we uh, we just introduced a new segment into the call, uh, into the campus tour about our uh, our Heisman race, our Heisman finalists, our Heisman favorites. Mm-hmm. We just introduced all of that. And it seems like every so often we – see a performance from a player a college player and we feel like they don't get the recognition that they deserve maybe they should have won an award that they didn't win so that's why on this week's edition of Mitch Mo's top five list of the week we're going to be doing the top five biggest Heisman snubs of all time oh oh I am excited for this one I this is this is going to be an interesting list. And I'll tell you guys, I I don't always know what the top five is going to be. Sometimes Mitch tells me sometimes it's things we talked about. I made him not tell me this week because I wanted to be surprised. And I am very intrigued now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. All right, Bubba. So uh, some honorable mentions first. Uh, Peyton Manning in 1998, who lost out to Charles Woodson. Um, who yeah. played both sides of the ball. I oh, People forget he played both sides of the ball that year. So um, Peyton Manning in 1998, uh, Eric Bieniemy lost out in 1991. Uh, he had an outstanding season for Colorado the year they won the national title. Um, he got snubbed. And then Marshall Falk in 1992 at San Diego State University, um, where he lost out to Gino Toretta, a quarterback at uh, – University of Miami at the time. Um, this one blows my mind, actually. And this one could have made it number six or number five on the list. But uh, Marshall Falk 
uh, was had 1,630 rushing yards and 15 touchdowns and lost out to Toretta, who threw for just over 3,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Huh. So, like, good numbers, but, like, it's it, – and really, the only flaw that Falk had in that season was the fact that he was an underclassman. So right. yeah. you have to get it – not a whole lot of sophomores win that trophy. So that was number five – or the number – the first honorable mention on the list, but let's get right into it. Number five on the list is Tommy Frazier, quarterback from the University of Nebraska in 1995, who lost to the eventual winner, Eddie George. George had awesome numbers, right? 1,927 rushing yards, 24 touchdowns. But Tommy Frazier was probably the best dual threat, triple option quarterback in college football history. Had excellent numbers for himself um, in one of the best offenses in college football history. He ran for 604 with 14 touchdowns, threw for 1,362 with 17 touchdowns, so low numbers there. Um, but he also headed a Huskers offense that scored 53.2 points a game, scored over 62 four times. And, uh, I mean, you you cannot be the leader of that offense and not get the kind of consideration that Tommy Frazier did. Um, a great runner, uh, a pretty decent passer. Tommy Frazier, one of the best mobile quarterbacks in college football history. He gets number five on the list. Okay. Yeah, that's a, a, that's a tough one. I mean, Eddie George, you know, it's like almost 2,000 yards, 24 touchdowns on the ground. That is a lot. But, uh, yeah, in, in retrospect, you know, just another solid running back season in college football or something a little more impressive there that's a yeah i i see i can see that one I, I and i can see why he got left out too but it's sure when you lead an offense like that man that's that feels like yeah. a huge snub yeah um number four on the list and i saw him at number one on a lot of lists was herschel walker in 1980 okay um in 1980 herschel walker was a true freshman so the fact that he got a third place finish in this voting at his age is remarkable in itself the guy rushed for 1,616 yards and 15 touchdowns and led Georgia to a national title, but lost out to running back George Rogers. Uh, George Rogers of South Carolina had 1,781 yards and 14 touchdowns. Really a toss-up, but when you look sure. at Walker's age and what he did as a true freshman coming in, it's really hard to deny him a Heisman Trophy given the fact that he was an 18-year-old leading uh, one of the premier programs to a national title that year with the numbers that he had Herschel Walker number four on the list yeah yeah I think that one's more of like you know hindsight driven if you will uh because he you know he finishes second the next year in in the Heisman to Marcus Allen and then wins it in 1982 uh his junior year and then obviously goes on to be Herschel Walker in the NFL so uh, maybe that is a little bit more. He at least for him though, he got one eventually, right? Some of these guys on this list never end up getting one. Herschel did did, did get one in '82, his junior season. Uh, so at least there's some silver lining there for him. Right. Uh, number three on the list, we're gonna go with Greg Pruitt in 1971, Oklahoma running back who lost out to Auburn quarterback Pat Sullivan. Um, Pruitt finished third in voting, um, behind Sullivan and then Cornell running back Ed Marinaro, um, who, if you've seen the show blue mountain state, he plays the head coach in blue mountain state. Oh. Um, <laughs> he was second Heisman voting that year. Yeah. Um, 
a great college football, a good, good actor, but a, a great college football player in his own right. Um, Sullivan threw for 2,260 yards, 21 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, while Pruitt rushed for 1,760 and 18 touchdowns and averaged nine yards a carry and gets snubbed out of a Heisman Trophy behind Pat Sullivan, uh, just confirming the fact that much like the NFL MVP award, uh, the Heisman Trophy award can at times become more of a quarterback award. And uh, Greg Pruitt became one of the victims of uh, that, 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 you know, that circumstance. So Greg Pruitt gets number three on the list. Yeah, that's a good one there. I mean, averaging nine yards a carry, that is, 196 carries, 1,700 yards. That is just, that's remarkable. Absolutely incredible. Incredible. Number two on the list is Adrian Peterson in 2004. Adrian Peterson had an absolutely remarkable year. He just happened to be in the same, he just happened to be in the same kind of era of, of the Reggie Bush era. Peterson, in 2004 ran for 1925 yards and 15 touchdowns or uh during his season uh for Oklahoma Matt Leinart wound up winning the wound up winning the Heisman Trophy that year um but Peterson it's 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 hard to deny that he was an actual stud for that Oklahoma team I think they were a top five team in the country at that point um Adrian Peterson uh gonna get number two on the list losing out to I mean now we know what Adrian Peterson is in the NFL and an all-timer um, and Matt Leinart, uh, a guy that petered out uh, when he got to the NFL level. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, AP there, uh, you know, we were talking about with one of the names earlier. He's a freshman in that season. Right. So a right. freshman, Adrian Peterson, as great as he was against a junior Matt Leinart in the midst of that USC run that they went on. Right. With, with all that dominance, Reggie wins it the next year. Uh, you know, so yeah, that's, that's a tough one there, but certainly a good season and, and, uh, AP's best shot at the Heisman. He never came close to one again, never had a good enough, uh, season to even crack the top 10 in college. So yeah, that was kind of like his one shot. So yeah, in hindsight, that's a tough one. Very tough, very tough. Um, but number one on the list, I'm going with your boy, Christian McCaffrey in 2015. Um, he just happened to be in the same season that Derrick Henry was. Derrick Henry um, in 2015 uh, rushed for 2,219 yards and 28 touchdowns. Um, yeah. I mean, just put together one of the greatest performances on the ground in, in college football history. However, McCaffrey is the biggest snub because in that season, he accumulated – 3,864 all-purpose yards in one year. For comparison, Derrick Henry accumulated 3,876 yards from scrimmage in his career. He accumulated basically what Derrick Henry did in his entire career in one season. Um, it, I mean, it. It Stanford wound up well, as a top three like team that. in the nation. I mean, Stanford wound up as a top three team in the nation. Um, they, they were really at their peak, right. You know, or at, I guess kind of at the back end of their peak, right. Cause they really fell off the face of the earth after McCaffrey left. Yeah. Um, but the contributions that McCaffrey had, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but in the special teams game, the kick and punt returns, um, 
really should have put him um, in that conversation at it really he deserved that conversation to be a Heisman finalist and I think really should have put him at the top. So Christian McCaffrey, number one on the list. Yeah, I think that's definitely a popular one there. I think the one number that gives it to Henry Wright is that 28 touchdown number. Oh, I mean, sure. that is just an absurd number to see next to someone's name. 28 rushing touchdowns in a season is remarkable. And so I, I, I you know, it, it's, Ultimately, I'm with you. I, I think McCaffrey should win this one, but I could see where the voters just saw that and was like, yeah, we'll take that. You know, he just ran in a bunch of touchdowns, but man, McCaffrey was special that season. Special at Stanford his whole career. Very special. Very special. Yeah. Okay, great top five, Mitch. Run through the, the top five for us one more time. Uh, number five, Tommy Frazier in 1995, Herschel Walker. Number four in 1980. Number three, Greg Pruitt in 1971. Number two, Adrian Peterson in 2004. And number one, Christian McCaffrey in 2015. All righty. All-time top five Heisman snubs. You'll love to see it. Great stuff, Mitch, on the top five. Speaking of fives, it's time for a week five recap. NFL week five. And we're going to hit this the way that um, we did this a couple weeks ago. It's a fun way to sort of look at some of the uh, in-between weeks of the NFL season. We've got some categories we're going to uh, reward out to either teams or players and discuss the week that was in the National Football League. And we'll start here with uh, our most impressive team from this past week of games. And Mitch, we uh, we basically agreed on the two teams. Uh, we both discussed using either team. So... These are kind of both of ours, but we each will head a different one here. And I'll start with the New York Jets. That was my most impressive team from this past week, a 40 to 17 win over Miami and West Miami. The Dolphins, I mean, they were playing Skylar Thompson in this game, right? Teddy Bridgewater gets knocked out the very first play of the game. And the third stringer, Skylar Thompson from Kansas State, who I didn't have any practice reps. Like, I mean, he's coming in cold. Uh, the Dolphins didn't really have a shot in this one. It's it's less about the Dolphins and more about things coming together for the Jets. They put up 40 on a good Dolphins defense, right? Say what you want about the offense and Skylar Thompson, but the defense was out there. And the Jets offense was able to move the ball really well. Uh, five rushing touchdowns on the day. Zach Wilson was efficient made good throws, didn't try to do too much. And I think you're starting to see the structure and foundation of what this Jets team can be, right? Elijah Vera Tucker starts at right tackle in this game, looked really good at right tackle. That could be huge for them moving forward. Brees Hall had a huge game, 97 yards on the ground in the touchdown, 100 yards on two catches, a big 79-yard run. Uh, you know, you saw Garrett Wilson have a big game a couple weeks ago. Like now you're seeing all these weapons, Elijah Moore, uh, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, Garrett Wilson. And then you see Zach, the quarterback, just making things happen and not trying to do too much. And I'm starting to see what the team can be. This is the potential. We're finally starting to see it uh, bit by bit. Zach wasn't great. 
they got uh you know a favorable opportunity here and took advantage that's why i think it's impressive like do i think the jets are a playoff team this year like i'm not i'm not there yet but this is the steps in the right direction that you'd want to see from the jets franchise and in an opportunity to get a big win this young team took advantage and that was impressive to me well, and these are the steps they've been trying to take over the last couple of years, right? They've been adding all this young talent, and it's finally coming to fruition. Elijah Vera Tucker's finally healthy. You get him, you get Brees Hall running behind him, uh, get him protecting a healthier Zach Wilson. Um, this this Jets team looked great against the Dolphins. Now, I know the Dolphins banged up, right? They had Skylar Thompson playing quarterback after just one attempt from Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, Godspeed to, to Teddy. I hope he gets better. But like it, it, it just seems like it's all coming together for the Jets. Like you said, I'm not totally in on them being a playoff team, but all those moves that they made are finally starting to make sense for the Jets. And yeah. and it, when you hear Jets fans get excited about them, we can't dog on them anymore. We can't dog on them anymore because things are looking up. They may not be contenders or competitors right now, but they're looking a heck of a lot better than what they were. And you know, to be honest with you, they're, they're three and two. Like they're, yeah. they're yeah. not looking that, that shabby right now. Right. Right. I mean, and we talked all about the offense and that's not even to mention sauce Gardner, your, your guy who is mm-hmm. holding it down out there. I mean, he could, he should be in the running for defensive uh, rookie of the year, honestly, with his performance so far in his career, showing us what he did at Cincinnati. So, yeah, there's a bright future ahead for the Jets. And again, these are the moments that you need to see this season, more of these moments. And we need to see some big Zach Wilson games, like 30, you know, three touchdowns, 300 yards. Like, let's show us what you could do. Rip it against NFL talent. Uh, and, uh, you know, but so far, so good. Week five, good, good showing for the Jets. What was the team, uh, the most impressive team for you, Mitch? I mean, give me the Giants here. I mean, the Giants have been are okay. starting. New York, looking. the Big Apple, baby. Let's go. We we, we talked They're about on. I we talked about post draft how good of a draft both teams actually had. I mean, they've just looked fantastic. Um, this this shouldn't have been. I mean, it's a great representation for the United States to have this be the London game. Quite honestly, uh, Indianapolis and Denver should have been the London game. Give them that shitty game because it looked more like <laughs> soccer anyway, because they were kicking the ball more than they were throwing it. And that's what they like over there, right? They like to kick the ball more than they like to throw it. That should have been the game over there. Look more like soccer than football. But I digress. <laughs> the Giants look like a legitimate team. Brian Dable, and we'll talk about him later again, has looked fantastic at the helm of that Giants team. He's doing what all the other coaches should have been doing with Daniel Jones, which was just put him in situations where he can succeed and don't put him in situations where he's set up to fail. Like he's only going to be able to give you so much. I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is, is a top half of the league quarterback by any means, but if you put him in positions where he can succeed and just do what he needs to do to keep the ball moving, keep the offense efficient, then he's going to be just fine. And you know, they've done a great job of turning Daniel Jones in from a laughing stock into a like, uh, OK, this guy, if you put him in the right spots, he can be competent. Saquon has bounced back fantastic from the injury. Um, the defense has played great. Um, the Giants look like maybe. They can be contenders for a wild card, at, at least at this point this year. Yeah, I mean, the Giants have been one of the stories this season, Mitch. And I think uh, the difference 
for Jones is Dable has turned him from a losing player into a winning player, right? I mean, it's just as simple as that. They they were losing games because of or at the hand of or as a result of Daniel Jones for the last couple of years. And now he is putting him in winning situations and Jones is rewarding him with winning football. I, I would even go so far as to say, Mitch, that Daniel Jones is proving that he's not the guy throughout this whole process, not in like a negative way, but that he isn't like they're winning close games. They're winning these by thin margins. They're winning games that maybe they shouldn't like. These aren't always going to roll their way. And if Daniel Jones can elevate the team, then you know what he is, right? Which is a quarterback with a clear ceiling. You know that to get a Josh Allen type impact player, to get a real true impact player, he needs to be elevating the team beyond these points. Daniel Jones is not doing that this season yet. We'll see how it uh, progresses for him. But as far as the Giants go, Mitch, uh, what is stuck out to me most is this defense. I mean, I thought this defense was going to be horrendous. This should have been one of the worst defenses in the league personnel wise. But they bring in Wink Martindale, longtime D.C. in Baltimore, and Dable trusts him to revamp this defense alongside of some new pieces that they've added. Kayvon Thibodeau early in the draft, right? And so far this season, five games. Listen, competition not the best aside. They gave up 20 points in week one, 16 points in week two, 23 in week three, 12 in week four, 22 in week five. Uh, they were playing the Cowboys, the Packers, like there's some, uh, you know, decent offenses in here. Those are some really good defensive performances from the Giants. It's the reason why they're starting four and one, right? It's not Daniel Jones and the offense being great. It's the defense being better and the offense being competent. Can they continue that? We'll see. Uh, the schedule will get tougher, but Dable's making a lot out of nothing right now. Certainly impressive and a good sign for this franchise moving forward. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, Wink Martindale. Sounds like a sounds like a name for like Santa's little helper. Like like he sound that's an elf name. That's an elf name. <laughs> it's an elf. I love it. He's Santa's little helper from now on. It's Oh, Brian oh, Dables. Okay. Brian Dables a yeah, he's a bigger yeah, guy. Yeah, he, he could be Santa. Okay. He's Santa's little there you helper. Go. And then he's got, he got little little elf man, Wink Martindale. Yeah. I love it, Mitch. That's fantastic. Uh, Let's go to disappointing teams. What team disappointed you most in their performance in week five? I mean, it it wasn't that they were disappointing. It's just that they continue to disappoint me week in and week out. And that's that's the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm. I mean, they lost a close one against Kansas City. Looked like they could have won that game. I mean, Kansas City. Uh, had a hard time figuring some stuff out early on against the Vegas, you know, the Vegas defense. It's hard for me to continue to stand by the Raiders and look like a dummy week in and week out against them. I I, I just don't think I could do it anymore. I, I, this team has so much talent and they're squandering it all. And I want to put that on the Raiders front office, their inability to bring in, quality defensive pieces, quality defensive minds. And they, they didn't need Devontae Adams to still be a good offense. Like they, they were a good offense last year. They didn't need very good. <clears throat> very, very good. They didn't need Devontae Adams to put this team over the edge. They needed, they needed two or three solid defensive pieces. They didn't need to be stars. They needed solid defensive pieces. 
and the and the front office hasn't delivered. So as much as I want to blame the Raiders, the team for their under for them underperforming, I have to put it on the front office for their inability to to bring in what they need defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. Uh, the Raiders did blow a 17 nothing lead in this game. So that definitely goes on the players and the coaches, you know, because they did lead Kansas City in the second quarter 17 nothing, uh, And to blow that Monday night game again, it just goes back to uh, the issue I've always had with Vegas. The reason why I picked them to finish last in the AFC West, the reason why I did not expect them to make the playoffs this year is that defense. It was always the defense. It, they were going to put up points. Right. They were going to be able to match teams. And I mean, they just showed you 30 to 29 loss. But this is how they're going to lose this year. It is how they've lost this year, uh, you know, and it, I think that's just the trend right now. And it, yes, it is a personnel thing. You bring up a really interesting point that I haven't thought of, Mitch, with the Adams thing. And I mean, there's more to the Adams thing than just bringing in a solid wide receiver. Right. He has a connection with the quarterback. Him and Derek Carr played together in college like there's, you know, th there's some more to that. But it is curious to think about the draft capital that, that they gave up and then the money that they're paying him and how that could have been better allocated on the defense. And just like I would just love to see, like, what could that money and picks have gotten them in defensive players and how much better would that make their defense? And then, you know, how do we look at the team? Because that is something that should be considered moving forward as they've locked themselves into paying this guy a lot of money. Mm hmm. You know, maybe this was already not the right move. I mean, they're going to have to make some miracles happen on the defense. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. That is for sure. Mitch, my most disappointing team is a team that we were very excited about this season and still are. This is just a bad week. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, what happened? I mean, Mitch, they were in the swamps of Jacksonville. They're supposed to get it done here. They're playing the Texans, Mitch. And they lose this game 13 to six. The Texans had less than 250 total yards in the game. <laughs> less than 250. The Jags had 422 total yards to 248 for the Texans. And the Texans win this game 13 to six. Trevor Lawrence, those two picks. It was a, it was an ugly Trevor Lawrence game. Like, that just, just really realistically ugly game. 25 of 47. 286, two interceptions. You know, the run game wasn't great, but it was decent, but just not getting things done when they needed to and letting that Texans team hang around and steal a win there. I mean, Damian Pierce was impressive. Don't get me wrong. Like he had a breakout performance uh, with some of those runs, but for a Jags team that looked really competent to start this season looked really competitive to drop one at home to the Texans is going to sting when the season's over this one they're going <clears> to <throat> look back at and be like what did we do there yeah that could be a dis difference making loss for them um I I liken this loss though a lot to what the bills were the other week uh where they put up like almost 500 yards of offense and and oh scored Miami? like yeah, yeah yeah I mean it was like you know okay they couldn't put the ball in the end zone, but they moved the ball pretty well. So like, I, 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 I'm not too worried about the Jags, but you're right. It is disappointing sure. that they just can't capitalize on all the offensive production that they put out. And um, I think that's probably the most disappointing thing about the Jags that I take away from this for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mitch, uh, one overreaction from this NFL 
week five. I'll let you go first. What's one overreaction you have coming out of this week? Look, I know there's a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans out there really excited about the four and one start, right? Cooper Rush. We're okay. We got Cooper Rush. The defense, fantastic. Micah Parsons, and to his credit, I will say, is looking like the next Lawrence Taylor. And I said that I said that at the beginning of this year. Um, he is going to be the next Lawrence Taylor, and he's looking every bit of that. But yes, just you wait. Just you wait. Everything that can go wrong for the Cowboys will go wrong. Everything about the Cowboys that we've seen so far is a lie. It's a okay. lie. Look, this team is is doing just fine, but they're pulling out close wins. The defense is actually carrying that thing. I worry that when Dak Prescott comes back, he may not be 100%. They're rushing him back. We've seen the Cowboys do that time and time again with their stars. Rush him back and get him back in there. I worry that the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm actually not worried because I know this is a fact. The Dallas Cowboys are going to make mistakes that are easy, easy things not to do, and they will not wind up making the playoffs. Take oh. the Dallas Cowboys out of my playoff picture. Even with the four and one start, what can go wrong will go wrong with the Dallas Cowboys. It's just a matter of time. You just got to wait. You just got to wait. And even if they are a playoff team, even if they're a wild okay. card team, you just wait, you just wait. Things are going to fall apart in Dallas and they're not going to get back to another. Super- they're not going to get back to the Super Bowl. You just wait. You just wait with the Dallas Cowboys. Well, here's the thing, Mitch. You did have them going nine and eight and sneaking in as the seven seed. So to your credit, you were already borderline on the Cowboys before the season started. Um, I am going to say that's not an overreaction, by the way. Not an overreaction because this is just fluky with the backup quarterback. And we see this every year, right? There's this weird stretch where this team loses the starter and you're like, it's going to go downhill. And all of a sudden they go three and oh, and you're like, how is Kyle Allen good? Right. How is Taylor Heineke good? Right. How, you know, like just go back a year and name a stuff and start it. Like we do it every year and then shit hits the fan. Right. Then things get real and they get figured out and it's like, oh, now we're back to reality. They play the Eagles this week on Sunday night, Mitch. I think this is when reality hits. I'm just going to say it now. I think this is when reality is going to hit for the Dallas Cowboys and this sort of oh, shit, we're not actually as good as we are. Uh, We're not going to be able to cakewalk by with Cooper Rush. Unless we not forget that the man in charge of this team is Mike McCarthy. So, no, it's not going to work out. What do we, come on. (laughs) Like, what are we doing? Uh, It's just absurd. I love He couldn't win with Aaron Rodgers. What do you you think? You think he he can win with Cooper Rush? It's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Mitch, my over, I love that overreaction. Uh, Not an overreaction for me. Uh, My pick this week is that the Patriots should start Bailey Zappi over Mac Jones when Mac Jones comes back healthy. I I want a Brady Bledsoe situation here. That's what's happening. Zampi is the Brady. Mac Jones is the Bledsoe. They thought Jones was going to be the heir apparent, the next guy. It's not him. It's Zampi. Listen, Jones in three games, one and two in those three games, completed 66% of his passes, 786 yards, two touchdowns, five picks. Did not look good. Did not look good, right? Gets injured. 
Bailey Zampi starts the last two games. He's one and one, one and one. And by the way, had a very close call against the Packers, right? Like almost beat the Green Bay Packers. Not too shabby. They shut out Detroit this last week, 29 nothing. And in two games, Bailey Zampi's completing 75% of his passes. He's got 287 yards through two games. They're not having him do a lot, but he's got two touchdowns, one pick. He's been efficient, Mitch. He he is, Bailey Zappi right now is looking like Mac Jones did last year, right? Remember, they would have Mac Jones throw the ball like 21 times a game last year. They, they weren't asking him to drop back, you know, and, and sling the ball. They were using him efficiently. And Zappi has done that better than Jones has this year. Zappi has been that guy. So, I don't know if you're New England, if you're Belichick, you got to ride the hot hand. There's no credit given to first round picks and sixth round picks. And even this week, uh, when asked about it, Belichick was pretty coy about like, you know, would Jones get the starting job back? And rightfully so, because if Zappi earns it, it's his job. So right now I'd be rolling with uh, with the Hilltopper. The, you know, that's all I'm saying. I mean, he was electric at Western Kentucky. Pass heavy offense looked great. I don't think this is overreaction. I don't. I, I think that this is perfectly reacted to. Like, I love it. This is this is the guy that's going to win you games right now and keep or at least keep you in games. Mac Jones is shown yep. to throw them out of games. So, exactly. like, it, it, it just. Yeah, I'm with you. Give me the zap. Mr. Electricity, give me zappy. Let's go, baby. I'm I'm glad you're with it. Good overreactions this week, Mitch. Well done here. Let's go to our MVP of the week. I'll let you go first. Your MVP of the week. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, and I'm going to go back to him. Brian Dable. Brian Dable is my MVP of the week. Now, he gets it done against the Packers, but it's really a look back at the start of the year and what he's been able to do with this New York Giants team, keeping them in the conversation of of a division contender um this guy has made daniel jones look good this guy has utilized saquon barkley the correct way uh the defense has been fantastic we knew that i i always felt that he was going to come over from buffalo and do good things um and that just has shown to come to fruition over the first five games of the nfl season um brian dable gets my mvp and i mean it this was an easy pick for me. I mean, he is yeah. he has been fantastic in his first five weeks as the New York Jets head coach or New York Giants head coach. Yeah, he, I mean, he's absolutely turned around. I mean, what was perceived as like arguably one of the worst rosters in the NFL. I mean, just personnel wise and to have that team starting four and one and looking really good doing it, not just getting lucky, right? Getting some lucky bounces, right? But not just being lucky, like being good. Uh, certainly impressive there. I love that bitch. My MVP. Uh, I only did this for you. Uh, it's Taysom Hill. Uh, that is my MVP this week because Taysom Hill, man, uh, he's good for one of these a year, right? This is why Sean Payton kept him around. Just one absurd performance a year that goes like, what is this guy and what is he doing? Uh, the Saints beat the Seahawks 39 to 32 on Sunday. And Taysom Hill, uh, the Swiss Army Knife himself, had a game. I'm going to read you these stats. These are his stats, some of his stats for the game. He had one pass, a completion on one attempt, 22 yards and a touchdown. So touchdown pass, check that off. Nine carries, 112 yards, and three rushing touchdowns on the game. Okay, that's not bad. 
also had a fumble recovery, also had 69 kickoff return yards on the game. So, you know, casually throws for a touchdown, rushes for three, recovers a fumble, returns kickoffs, washed the coach's car, you know, fed the guy snacks at halftime. I mean, I don't know, like probably closed the lights off when he left the stadium. Uh, He does everything there in New Orleans. It's a vintage Taysom moment. Uh, I don't know why they don't. I don't know why they're starting Andy Dalton. I like, like if you're gonna rush Taysom Hill ten times a game, why not just like why? What's the bringing guys in and out? I I don't like it. I don't like it. You know, well, if you got if you don't got Jameis there anyways, what's the point? That's all I'm saying. Well, it's because Andy Dalton throws the ball better than Taysom Hill. That's why they're starting him, Dalton. I mean, I like mean, he's good I mean, for what he does. Like you just mentioned, Swiss Army Knife. He's he's doing what. He does best, which is just plug him in anywhere and let him do it. But you plug him in at quarterback, and we saw that last year. He He's not a good quarterback. He's a good athlete. He's a good athlete. He plays sure. athletically. And so Andy like, Dalton is a good quarterback right now. That's all, that's all I'm saying, Mitch. I'm not arguing well, he's for him better to be than the full-time starter. I'm not I mean, arguing maybe, for him to be a top 15 quarterback. I'm just saying if we're already on the back of quarterback and you're going to play Taysom Hill for half of the snaps anyways, like what, you know what I mean? Like what are we doing? Then play, it just seems weird. You, then we're you just can't moving. play Taysom Hill at quarterback. You can't play Taysom yes, Hill you can. at quarterback. You did it four snaps. games last year, Mitch, and you went three and one. They played him for four games as a starter last year. They went three and one. So yes, you can. That's all I'm saying. It's a great well, game okay. for Taysom. Good luck. I love this Swiss Army No, it's a great, right. it's a great, it's a great hill for Taysom. It's a great game for Taysom Hill. You're right you're though, right. because then if he was the starter, we'd miss out on the kickoff return yards. And that would be a big bummer. I'd love <laughs> and the special team punt blocks. You know, you get well, you wouldn't get the same production out of Taysom Hill if you're playing him at quarterback. That's what I'm saying. Mitch, your big L of the week. Uh, or do you want me to go first on this one? Yeah, you I go, go first. first on this one. Yeah, uh, I this is a personal big L for me because I am a part of this group. Uh, the big L this week goes to anyone who lost to Travis Kelsey in fantasy football on Monday night, because mm. that was a tough scenes. Uh, for anyone in that situation, including yours truly, Travis Kelsey, four touchdowns on the game. He only had 25 receiving yards, though. Seven receptions, 25 receiving yards. They were just like all touchdowns, four receiving touchdowns. Uh, just a brutal thing to watch. And I can attest as somebody there who had a great Josh Jacobs night and only lost by six points. It was like, all right, Kelsey's got two, but if he doesn't get another one, I can still win. Fuck, he's got a third. All right, well, like, maybe if he just, like, doesn't get another catch, I might have this. Oh, shit, he's got another one. It was just absurd uh, what he is in that Kansas City offense in a four-touchdown night for the tight end. Tough scenes if you if you lost to Travis Kelsey uh, this weekend in fantasy football. I feel your pain. It was It was a tough one. Yeah, I was very fortunate not to be a part of that group that did lose to Travis Kelsey. Uh, age proving to be not a factor for him. He's still a big weapon in the red zone. So, yeah, big week fantasy-wise for Travis Kelsey. Um, my big L of the week, though, goes to Amir Smith-Marset. And you may not know who that is, but he's number 17 on the Chicago Bears. Um, and he made the catch for a first down at the end of that Bears-Vikings game that, that would have put the Bears in a position to maybe make a game-winning drive. However, however, he gets stripped because he doesn't protect the football. 
He gets stripped the pat by Cameron Dantzler. The pat the the Vikings take it the other way. They seal the game up, and that's the biggest L of the week for me. You lose your team a game because you can't cover the football, and it, and it hits extra home with me, Dallin, because it's a Chicago Bear, and I want him gone. I want him to lose his job. I want him to be out oh. on the streets. I want I want him out on the streets with nothing to do with the Chicago Bears anymore. Cut him right now. Cut him right now. All you have to do is cover the football. Cover the football and get out of bounds. Now, yeah, that's all you – but what he makes, an inside move. He makes an inside move towards the middle of the field, and he gets stripped by Cam Dantzler. That's ridiculous. <laughs> know the situation. Know what's going on. Jobless. Jobless. That's what I'm calling for Marset is jobless. Wow. That's the big loss. That's the big L. Tough scenes. Tough scenes. Uh, yeah, you know, hate to see it. Never fun. Man, calling for his job, though. Man, mm-hmm. okay. A little feisty, but that's all right. Damn right. Damn right I'm calling for his job. <laughs> I love it, Mitch. All right, well, that's going to do it for our Week 5 NFL recap. Let's wrap up the podcast with our NFL Week 6 quick picks and a recap last week. Mitch, we both went 8-8. Eight and eight. Yet again, right around 500 this season that has been the trend we continue to struggle in the picks but we're not under 500 so that's the good news on the season mitch still leads by two 43 36 and one my record 41 38 and one so it's still two games back but uh yeah is this just a down year or are we just uh on a bad stretch what's up i have i have found the issue with my picks i found the oh. issue and I will explain it right here as we get into our first game of the evening. Uh, first game of the week, excuse me. Thursday Night Football, the Washington Commanders are leaving this, the, the nation's capital to head over to the Windy City to take on the Chicago Bears. Dallin, my problem is I haven't been picking the Bears every week. I haven't been picking the Bears every week. And all my other picks have tanked because of it. So give me the Bears in this one on Thursday night over the Commanders. Well, I love this for me, Mitch, because that means I get an automatic W every week because you're going to pick the Bears inexplicably. So I love this for me, Mitch. I am going with the commies. Give me Carson Wentz, that socialist, big, dumb, redheaded communist fool out there. Give me Washington on Thursday night in the shy city, Mitch. Sunday morning football, the San Francisco 49ers. And Kyle Shanahan headed to his old digs down in the ATL to visit the Atlanta Falcons. Give me the Niners in this one. Jimmy Garoppolo leading this team well. This defense continues to dominate. Atlanta's a good team, not good enough to get the win here. Yeah, I got the I got the Niners in this one in hot Atlanta. Niners defense playing exceptionally well. Uh, give me the Niners over the Falcons. Following that one, New England, they're heading, they're leaving New England to head over to the best city in the state of Ohio, Cleveland, to take on the Cleveland Browns. I'll tell you what, Dallin, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's Amari. Amari Cooper is back playing well for the Browns. Give me the Brownies at home over the Pats. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I just talked up Bailey Zappi and how he should be the starter. That's all fine and dandy, but I am going to roll with the Browns in this one, Mitch. 
They honestly should have had that game against the Chargers last week. Cade York misses a potential game-winning field goal there. This Browns team is really pretty competitive with Jacoby Brissett. They are going to get it done here at home. Give me the Browns, Mitch. The New York Jets headed up to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Come smelling an upset, Mitch. Give me Zach Wilson and the Jets to get it done at Lambeau. Tough game for me to pick as well, buddy, but I'm going to roll with the Packers and a tight one at home in Lambeau. Tough place to play is Lambeau Field. I think I'm going to take the Rat King and the Packers to get this one done at home. Following that game, Jacksonville. They're leaving the swamps of Jacksonville to head over to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. Give me Jacksonville at home. Good rebound game for them. Colts are dog shit. I like the Colt or I like the Jags in this one on the road. Oh man, this was a tough one for me, Mitch. AFC South matchup, but I was rolling with the Colts before the season. I'm still not giving up hope. There's too much talent on that roster. It's going to be an ugly one, but give me the Colts at home over Jacksonville. Mitch, the Minnesota Vikings are headed down to South Beach to take on somebody at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Will it be Teddy Bridgewater, perhaps? Will it be Skylar Thompson yet again? Either way, Mitch, I am rolling with the Vikings. Quarterback issues. I am not going to bet on Miami in this one as great of a team as they are. Minnesota's 4-1 on the season. That offense is rolling. Give me the Vikings. Yeah, I am going to take the Vikings on the road in Miami. Tough place to play. But Miami's always a hot place to play for, for a team up north. But I like the Vikings to get this one done over the Finns. Following that game, Cincinnati, they're leaving the home of Skyline Chile. They head down to the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. Andy Dalton in the New Orleans Saints. What? Andy Dalton? Give me the Bengals on the road over the Saints on this one. Yeah, I'm taking the Bengals as well. Andy Dalton, you're going to wave your old team goodbye as they leave the Big Easy with a W. Uh, also, you know, return for Joe Burrow back to the state of Louisiana where, you know, he's had a little bit of success. You know, some mild success down there yeah, in the bayou. a little bit. For Mr. Burrow, Bengals win big on the road. Mitch, next up, the Baltimore Ravens headed to the Meadowlands to take on uh, a tough Giants team. We just talked about how good this Giants team has been. Well, another big test after they knocked off the Packers last week, hosting the Ravens. I'm rolling with Baltimore, Mitch. I'm rolling with Lamar. I'm rolling with Baltimore. The Ravens are legit, and the Giants, as good as they are, they're they're. Uh, I just don't think they could get this one. I want to pick them, but I can't do it. I'm going with Baltimore. <laughs> Upset alert! We got the Giants over Baltimore in this one, Dallin. Give me okay. the G-Men to get it done over the Ravens. I like this Giants team a lot. Close one, but I'm taking the G-Men. Following that game, Tampa Bay. They are leaving the state of Florida to head up to Steel City to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Give me Tampa Bay in this one. 
I like Tampa Bay a lot more than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's having some a lot, a lot of troubles. That Kenny Pickett fence seems to be broken and letting anyone come in there and just barnstorm their hometown. Give me Tampa Bay over Pittsburgh. Yeah, two legends at quarterback. The GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time. And also Tom Brady in this game. That's a great matchup there. Kenny Two Gloves Pickett versus Tom Brady Mitch. Uh, the Bucks may have barely got by against the Falcons, but I think they're not going to have much trouble here against the Steelers. Give me the Bucks on the road. Big Mitch, my Carolina Panthers, fresh off of firing. No head coach, no DC. They fired the special teams coordinator too. And now they got to go to L.A. To play the Los Angeles Rams, I would say that home field advantage, not a thing for the Rams in this case, but that would presume that the opposing team had a fan base that would travel for the game. And the Carolina Panthers don't have one of those. So it's going to be no advantage for Carolina in this one. But Mitch, see this in college football. Team, you know, moves on from the head coach. Interim comes in, gives them some juice. Guys want to fight for their coach. Guys want to prove themselves. We don't suck. We didn't deserve this. We deserve more respect. Put some respect on their name, Mitch. Keep pounding. I'm taking the Panthers in an upset. Oh, my God. Dallin, wishful thinking for Dallin Graff. Give me the Rams and this one in the City of Angels over the Carolina Panthers. Can't I can't tell you keep pounding this week, buddy. Can't have it. Give me the Rams over the Panthers. Following that one, Arizona, they're leaving this desert to head up to the PNW to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith has played efficiently. He's played decent. Arizona, a wild card. We don't know what the hell they are. They're playing banged up. Give me Seattle. Give me Seattle at home. 12th man coming alive. I like the Seahawks. Okay, yeah, this is a this is a tough one for me, Mitch. Uh, Seahawks playing obviously very well. Geno Smith's been impressive, but you know I think the Cardinals have had some moments this year. Started off rough against the Chiefs, but I think they've had some better moments. Even in that loss against the Eagles, I thought the defense showed out impressively. So I'm gonna go with the Cardinals on the road in this one. And a tough NFC West matchup should be a close game, but. Kyler Murray and that offense, maybe enough to get it done uh, on the road there at uh, at Lumen Field in mm. Seattle. I had to catch myself. Almost said century. <laughs> Lumen Field. I don't even remember. Do you even remember what Heinz Field is now called? Did you even try to name? I don't even remember. No, it's what just they, it's it's Heinz. Like I don't even remember what the new name is. It doesn't matter to me. I haven't thought yep. about it since. Incredible. Uh, all right, uh, Mitch. The last afternoon game and. Game of the week easily here. Buffalo and Kansas City, a rematch of arguably one of the greatest playoff games we've ever seen in the divisional round last year. Buffalo at Kansas City. And I'm rolling with the Chiefs. Give me Mahomes. Give me Kansas City. My split on this one is the home, Mitch. I think these are two really good teams. I know Buffalo's been really impressive, but Kansas City has also been impressive to me. I think this is a shootout. And in a shootout, Mahomes is always going to have a chance. So give me the Chiefs. This is more than just a shootout to me. It really comes down to what do I take, Buffalo's offense or Kansas City's defense? Because Buffalo's defense, it can hang with Kansas City's offense. 
I'm going to take Buffalo in this one on the road in Arrowhead. Um, this is just a, 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 an easier pick than you would think, actually. I, I think that Buffalo can get this one done um, in fairly handle, you know, fairly handily fashion over the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, give me Buffalo. Following that one, Sunday Night Football, Dallin, the Cowboys, they're leaving Jerry World and heading over to the city of brotherly love to take on the 5-0 Philadelphia Eagles, the last undefeated team in the National Football League. And let me tell you, they will still be the last undefeated team in the National Football League. Hurts so good. Give me Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles over the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I'm rolling with the Eagles on this one. Fly, Eagles, fly. You know, I got to... I riled up some of my family, some of my cousins the last week with my article on our website about why the Philadelphia Eagles will not be winning the Super Bowl this year. If you haven't checked it out, I invite you to go do that. Listen, the title is clickbaity, I know, but there's a reason behind it. I know I worried some of my family members. I apologize. Ben Dixon clan, enjoy the ride. It's a fun time here in Philly. And the ride's going to continue this week against Dallas. So, you know, hang on for dear life. Enjoy it. Jalen Hurts is fun. This team is awesome. Uh, this should be a great matchup. Hopefully a good Sunday night game. But I'm going with the Eagles, Mitch. Monday night football. AFC West matchup. The Denver Broncos. Russell Wilson. They're headed to L.A. to take on Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I understand why the NFL put the Broncos on primetime so much early in the season, but hey, please, like, stop doing this now. This it's team bad. is painful. This offense is painful, I will say. The defense for Denver is legit, Mitch. And that is the one saving grace to the start this season for the Broncos is that their defense is proven to be legit. Can the offense catch up? Can Russell Wilson get the train moving? Will I say to that, Mitch... Let's ride. I'm going with the Broncos. It's going to happen eventually. I keep saying this every week. They're going to figure it out eventually. This is the week, Mitch. It's happening. From what I hear, Denver is uh, trying to get into the English Premier League uh, for how much they like to kick the football and not put the ball in the end zone. Um, So I, for that reason, am going with the Chargers. The Chargers at home over the Broncos. Um... This is just uh, – Chargers should win this one handily. They should. They really should. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right there, Mitch. Oh, man. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for our quick picks, and that's going to do it for the podcast. Guys, we appreciate you sticking around, listening, as always, having fun with us. If you don't already, follow us on social. The Twitter is at SportsHourGuys, Instagram at TheSportsHourGuys, the TikTok at the sports hour guys you can also follow me on twitter at dallin graf as i mentioned the website the sports get on there uh check out the content if you haven't already mitch remind the people about anchor I'm tired of reminding the people about Anchor. Get on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys become a permanent part of the conversation folks we want to hear from you. Get on Anchor. Leave us a voice message. Uh, ask us any sort of question that you want. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll answer it live right here on the show. That's once again, anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys. 
You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you want to find us, you will find the Sports Hour. Guys, get on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. Tell us that we suck because, Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we could get better. Guys, great time of year. Great time to be plugged into the podcast, to be plugged in on the social channels and everything. So, again, invite you to do that and really, you know, leave us a rating and a review. Love to hear feedback on what you guys like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more of, maybe what you'd like to hear less of. Uh, we are open to all that. So please, uh, you know, let us know. We uh, we do want to hear from you. Mitch, that's about all we got, huh? That's all we got, man. That's 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 all we're good for today. Uh, so that's you guys all she wrote. Come, you'll have to come back next week for some more of the Sports Hour, as always. So until next time, we love you. We appreciate you. We will catch you next week. So long, sports fans. See ya.